Yo. Head up, think fast. You're about to feel the blast. It's the dopest podcast on the net. Oh, yeah. All us geeks, fresh your bet. We round the world. We round the net. So get ready and get set. Because we make it look easy. No sweat. Jeff and Jordan, the host. Yeah, they be the best. From the north to the south, to the east, to the west. They cover movies, comics, TV shows, books. These guys gonna get you hooked. Don't stop now, just take a look. And don't forget to sign our Facebook. Cause what they doing is board games, video games. Yeah, they on it. They fly like a comet. Interviews, you up. This podcast is pure. Give voice to your inner geek, that's for sure. Geek out any topic. No one ain't gonna ever, ever stop it. So if you wanna go and get it on, then head to allisgeeks.com. Welcome to episode 44 of All Us Geeks. I'm Jeff King. I'm Jordan Steinhoff. And we're here to give voice to your inner geek. We got somebody with us today. Who's with us? Don the Anime Guy is back. I'd like to wish you guys a happy two year. Thank you. And this is kind of my two year myself as my first appearance was June two years ago. So pretty close to mine. Nice. Then we'll have to skip up the quarter so we can have you back next week. Next month. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. I didn't even, uh, didn't even look into that. Yeah. Episode seven. Yep. Nice. Look back at that. Yeah. See how he treats the visiting talent. No, didn't even look into that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, who are you again? <laughs> Seriously. Are man, you Lego? That's, that's forever, forever ago. Episode seven. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Back before you told me I had a segment. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You were just, uh, a, a guest, a one-time guest. Yep, yep. <laughs> the feedback we got was so good, though. <laughs> Sheppy really likes you. <laughs> sure, I'll, I'll take that as a like. <laughs> hey, Sheppy. <laughs> well, speaking of which, you don't get an entry for that, by the way. <laughs> Contest is over. <laughs> <laughs> But we do have a winner. Actually, we got to find out who the winner is. Before that, though, last episode they put out we had already recorded and then got the audio entries after that. Audio slash video entries. <laughs> 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 Mike. Oh, it's wrong. It's still wrong. Good job, Mike. Yay. Yes. I, Marilyn's dress was much looser than that. Much looser. So in the last episode, uh, the birthday song pre-intro, pre-intro our music that you heard, that was Stephanie. So thank you, Stephanie. And the post-intro birthday music, that was Mike. I pulled the, uh, audio from the video. And of course you can go over to our YouTube channel if you want to see, uh, Mike wishing us a happy birthday. I haven't checked the stats on that for a week. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if it's hit double digits yet. I'm sorry, people. I'm uh, sorry. And then the uh, Godfather Im- impression for a birthday. That was Aaron. So thank you, Aaron. So those were the ones that we didn't get to talk about last time. So out of that, I had announced on uh, Facebook and Twitter that I had already picked a winning number, but I hadn't gone back and looked at the spreadsheet because we had to skip a recording. So the number was number eight. So if we look at the spreadsheet... Line eight is Stephanie. 
but not for the audio. It was for her uh, Twitter uh, that she sent us congratulating us on two years uh, right after she started listening to us and called us her newest podcast addiction. So there you go, Stephanie. You are line number eight. You are our winner. And I think I'm going to have to wait to let her know that because I believe she's, she's on vacation right now, right now. Yeah. And yeah, in Europe. <laughs> See, we we know what's going on with our listeners. <laughs> we know. You don't want to wear that today. No. We picked out something else for you. <laughs> Look on the other side of the bed. <laughs> okay, you just took it too far. <laughs> you took it too far. No, no. I was fine. You went too far. Eh. Stephanie will be fine. She's getting a lot of free games. <laughs> and just a reminder, that's the uh, Great Gnome Games game package. Got it sitting here. What are we giving away? Uh, Dig Down Dwarf of Dungeons Deep, Neptune, and Tasnia. And again, the Dig Down Dwarf was the uh, contest version, the one that I used to play and pick a winner for the contest we did over on the Game Crafter. So again, congratulations, Stephanie. Woohoo! I think since then, yeah, the Forged in Fire contest was still going on. That is over now. So thanks to everybody that participated in that. We had a, a really nice amount of participation in that. We had people uh, giving us comments on the uh, the Teaser Tuesday stuff and lots of uh, Twitter and Facebook interaction. So that was a good one. And congratulations to Alex. He won, and I know that uh, Tox has already been in contact with him as well. And I thought it was kind of cool because he actually, when we uh, did the uh, pulling of the winner, and that was his birthday. So yes. he won on his birthday. That was kind of cool. So congrats, Alex. Our friends over at Broken Prism Games. Matthew, what's their website? Brokenprismgames.com. <laughs> That's brokenprismgames.com. <laughs> Matthew just got back from Dallas Comic-Con. And he did a nice little write-up on his uh, blog over at brokenprismgames.com. <laughs> and we'll put the uh, link in the show notes directly to that uh, blog. But Dallas Comic-Con, where post? the entire cast of Serenity was not? They were two. No, not all of them. Who was missing? A few of them. Like Ron oh, Black. did they cancel or yeah, something? Yeah, some of them canceled. Yeah. That happens every yeah. damn con. But Well, then it's a good thing I didn't make the trip. <laughs> <laughs> But he uh, he posted about his experience, and he gave us a nice little shout-out for uh, encouraging him to go because Matthew and I had some conversation right before he grabbed his booth. So that's kind of cool. And I am currently working on an interview for the blog, uh, The Game Huntress. So I'll put a link to – actually, I'm going to add her to our links section. This is uh, Courtney, <laughs> Geeky Gamer Chick. You've probably seen her. Yes, yeah, so yeah. spoken to her. Have you? Yes. All right. I don't know. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we all had that wonderful little interaction here recently because of this interview. Jackass. <laughs> He's still lying. <laughs> nice. So that should hopefully be up soon. I actually, I think, finished up questions today. I haven't sent them off to her yet, though. But good Lord, there's a reason I podcast and don't write as much anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Patreon. We, we've got one piece of feedback so far on whether or not Patreon is an okay thing for us. And it was more that they would rather pledge to us during the pledge drive. They didn't like say not to do it. They just said that they personally would rather give during the pledge drive because they didn't think we needed to be taken for granted. 
and that they currently do a monthly subscription to Pandora or something like that and take it for granted and just forget about it. Well, based on 100% consensus of our sample size of one, <laughs> I, I guess we should just skip it. <laughs> no, no, because it wasn't, you can't do this. It's, here's how I will. But if we can't get participation and feedback... It's going to be hard to get participation in the Patreon <laughs> site, I think. No, really, people. A forum just for the paying members. <laughs> yeah. Where, where you can interact <laughs> with even more than you do now. And we'll get back to you faster than you get back to us. <laughs> hey, I'm sure they have a notify system. I won't just randomly catch three comments on the my weekly delve into YouTube. Yeah. Oh, I should respond to these. Yeah. Speaking of which, that's something else I wanted to do here. I did pull the, there is a, a nice site now. It used to be an, uh, an app that was iOS only, which does nothing for us, but, uh, he canceled the app and has actually made it a website. And I started doing it and, and, uh, it gives you the last 25, uh, reviews you got. Because we've never really talked about our iTunes reviews. You know, people have reviewed us, but mm-hmm. again, it's not one of those, we can't leave comments back or anything like that. But, and also if you have, uh, reviews in other countries, you gotta switch your country store. What this website does is give you the last 25, no matter what country they're from. And we had a couple that I didn't know we had. One of which our most recent one was Stephanie. She actually left us a review as well. So thank you, Stephanie. But I, I thought we'll start pulling those in now. If we get new ones and can kind of talk about them. If we get any more. <laughs> well, they're few and far between, especially the red. We have more. Do we have 25 in we all of I, the global geography? Well, I don't think, I don't know. Cause it only, I think it only pulls back if somebody's actually written. We have more reviews than we have written yeah. reviews. So it only pulls back the written reviews. We don't have 25 written reviews. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> But we did have like we, somebody from Canada <laughs> reviewed us. You're welcome. And it wasn't your brother. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> no, I, it wasn't him. <laughs> so yeah, that's something that'd be kind of cool going forward. So Don, why why uh, aren't you on on social media but like to stalk? What's what's up with that? Uh, <laughs> I just never felt the need to get onto it. But you're a Z-list celebrity now, like the rest of us in the room. <laughs> Once I make a Y-list, maybe. <laughs> oh, oh, look at him. He's already trying to overstep us. He wants to be our boss. Just wondering, you know, because every once in a while you get feedback. <laughs> More than us sometimes. <laughs> All right. So what would you like to start with this time, sir? You want to talk about detour? Yes. I do want to talk about it. Since you didn't talk about it last yeah. time. I was waiting for you to come back. I'm here. So Don's here, in case you guys missed that at the top of the episode, <laughs> or in geek news that we've already put out since before this came out. So we went to Anime Detour. About a month ago. Yeah. Has it been a month? Seems like it's longer. It goes around that. Maybe a little bit longer. So it was my first time going, and uh, Don took me with and, and gave me the VIP tour. And you got hit by a series of unfortunate things. <laughs> yes, we were lemony snicketed. <laughs> Which, uh, it, it was sad for me to see that. I was like, oh, you're just not seeing the best of things because you're 
dealing with all kinds of crap. Yeah, uh, Megan went with me. Uh, we got a, well, <laughs> we did end up getting a good room. <laughs> they did try to take it away from us. <laughs> the hotel. Just to be clear. No, no. Anime. Tried what? to. Really? Oh, detoured in? <laughs> yeah. Ugh. <laughs> but I fought that and got the room. <laughs> so, uh, and then unfortunately was, was it the night before we drove up is when it snowed the most. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. 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 It was the night before there's a pretty decent snowstorm. Driving up was fine. It was not fine for me driving up. <laughs> driving up was fine. Cause by the time we left, I think it snowed some in the morning too. So by the time we got on the road, we were, we, the roads were fine and everything, but Getting to Anime Detour, especially, uh, we both worked like a half day and then the drive up there. By the time we got there, everything was kind of already in full swing, which was not good for us. And combined with the snow, <laughs> there were, uh, a lot of, lot of parking issues. The parking lot was a disaster. No one knew where to park. No, there, the there were spots that were three deep. Like people in the yeah. middle were going nowhere. <laughs> Uh, there were several almost accidents. There's like a foot of snow and it was just a terrific mess in that lot. Sadly, we drove around for I don't know how long and, uh, Megan was not thrilled by any, <laughs> any stretch of the imagination. She was kind of stressed. Yeah, you were both kind of flipping out when I finally ran into you. <laughs> well, it was a little stupid. It was, I was a little pissed <laughs> too. I mean, I had already gone through the hotel thing, which that mm-hmm. was a week-long ordeal to get my room back. But I got it back. And then to get there and not be able to park in the hotel you're staying at is mm-hmm. a pain in the ass to me, especially since we were willing to pay for valet. But, of course, Anime Detour had valet locked up for guess of honor, I bet. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming is what they had. So even though and that was kind of the thing that was irking us, too, because we kept driving by empty valet spots and couldn't get one we'll just take the valley spot we don't care i mean it's fine by us but they're like no 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 that's for anime detour only a series of events to start off with was not was not great <laughs> megan pretty much well don ran into me as i was coming in to kind of chew on the hotel staff a little bit <laughs> actually i was coming in to try to get valet and that's when we kind of had a little exchange there and then John tried to show us where else to park. Megan was having none of it. She just dropped us off back at the door and she went like away. She's like, I'm just going anywhere that's not this hotel. And she just went away. <laughs> so from that point on, though, uh, we were fairly fine other than I, you know, the, the way they were running the, the elevators and stuff. It was huge. It was, there was, it's, it was larger than the hotel could really accommodate. Yeah. It's, they're pushing the limits of that hotel. Yeah. So the elevators in particular. Right. So the one good thing I will say is that we were like up on the 18th floor, I think. I really felt sorry every time I was on or coming down the elevator on those people in those middle floors because they were getting screwed over both ways. People riding up and people getting on to, you know, ride up and come back. And then the people that would get on if there was room up top. They were just screwed no matter what. And, and mm-hmm. at least once I took the stairs. There was just no now way. And I assume. Yeah. So they, yeah, it was just like ridiculous. And then checking out was horrible. Really? <laughs> we waited upstairs, I think for over a half hour before we could get on an elevator. Oh, geez. At the, at the bay. 
coming down. And so, yeah, so the elevators were kind of screwy. But beyond that, I mean, the actual convention was, I thought, pretty well run. How often do you go to any convention and everything is on the schedule, nothing changes? <laughs> That's it's very rare, really. I took some of your advice, and I think most of the panels I attended were actually, like, major panels. Mm-hmm. And those were really good. Uh, there were a couple I kind of thought about. You know, we had talked about a couple I thought about attending and I never did or something else was going on or, or like, one we got to was full. Yeah, that was unfortunate, too. Yeah. Before, they'd just let people pack in the sides, but fire codes or something. Yeah, we... That, Damn fire codes <laughs> yeah. for safety and prevention Stupid. of death. Yeah. <laughs> They're just dumb. What a problem. Uh, they understand. I'm at a convention. I don't care about fire codes. <laughs> We attended some pretty good panels, I thought. And uh, Chris Ayers' panel, that was a lot of fun. Yep. Clarion's panel was interesting. I don't think I, uh, I think, I know you attended some stuff that I didn't. And I don't know if I really attended much that you weren't in either with me or off to the side. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like I said, I didn't do any of like the fan panel kind of stuff. I don't mm-hmm. think I hit one of those at all. What I attended, I really liked. The dealer space was pretty decent. Uh, there was lots of cool little things to kind of check out in there, but I didn't exactly like buy a lot of stuff because right. it wasn't a, it wasn't a bit. I think the only, like the first night I was there, I bought stuff for Megan because mm-hmm. I found like a Wonder Woman coffee cup and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, here, <laughs> sorry, you've been so stressed. Uh, right. which she was fine once she got into our actual room and could kind but, of. Yeah, it's not your fandom, it. right? It's, right. I was taking you into a different world there. Yeah. The thing that surprised me the most was, I think you and I talked about it briefly, was the fact that I wasn't surprised there was cosplay and a lot of cosplay. I was surprised at the amount of non-anime cosplay. Oh, yeah. And anime. I mean, but there was a significant amount of non-anime cosplay that kind of took me a little... Sometimes it's just a fat dude in a Sailor Moon t-shirt. That's <laughs> that's not cosplay. <laughs> no, no. But this was like, there was like Venom and... Superhero, Doctor Super- Who... Yeah. All kinds yeah, of stuff, a, yeah. I mean, it was across the board, and it was like a lot of it. That's that's the thing that really surprised me. Yeah, right? maybe up to like twenty percent of the cosplay isn't yeah anime or manga related. Well, Marvel did have their anime line a few years ago. They just yeah <laughs> anime styled all their, their right. But I mean, we're, I mean, seriously, so fits, we're talking we're talking across the board. I mean, there was just there was so many things that kind of all surprised kinds, me yeah. to see there that wasn't quite anime related. The sheer amount of cosplay is kind of amazing too. It's yeah. It's like fifty percent of the people there. It's it's just a huge number, which then surprises you for the cosplay contest because it's barely hardly, hardly any, right? Yeah, hardly anybody actually does that. That and actually, I found that like super boring. It wasn't <laughs> anything like I thought it would be, and it was just like, all right, is this done yet? After you've seen a couple, you've seen them all. That's how I think of cosplay. Yeah, I, I, I saw the one and I didn't need to see it all. I can understand people that, <laughs> that love it, but it, for me, it's like, yeah, you know, been there. There was no pacing either. The thing is like, they let, they pretty much like, some people had skits mm-hmm. and they just didn't care. Like, all right, do your skit and keep doing your skit. And is your skit done yet? Nope. Okay. Keep going. And then some people were up there and off and, you know, so it was just yep, very yep. weirdly paced too. You attended a podcasting yes, panel yes, and I then did. came out to tell me how to podcast. Yes, well, <laughs> I learned a lot about editing and editing software and things like that. I didn't learn anything that would be of value to me as 
the guy just sitting here waiting for you to edit me. <laughs> yeah, that was the unfortunate part because it was kind of, it was a fan panel, but it was labeled as come learn how to do an anime podcast. And it was like, let me show you how to do a podcast. <laughs> let me show you how to edit and yeah, all that kind of stuff. It was really designed for people that want to start a podcast. This is like the sort of stuff you need to put together and do and all that stuff, which was fine. It was interesting, yeah. but it wasn't content related. And Don came out and let me know that they've been doing it for several years, so I might have learned something, and I had to remind him that so have we. <laughs> <laughs> and the one tip he did try to give me, I was like, do you know there's an easier way to do that? <laughs> Got me there. <laughs> I guess overall, the charity stuff was kind of cool. I know I had to leave early on Sunday, I know. Yep, yep. Uh, I, so I didn't get to sit through like the charity auction and stuff, but... I did get to look through and check out a lot of the silent auction stuff. Mm-hmm. And you want to talk a little bit about the charity stuff? Cause I know that that's a pretty cool thing that anime oh, that detour does. does. Um, actually kind of amazing with it. Uh, the guests of honor bring in various posters, wall scrolls, all sorts of odds and ends that are then signed by usually English cast, but sometimes Japanese creators. And then they'll auction those off and give all the proceeds straight to charity. And I've been doing that for a number of years now. And, uh, detour is, kind of a big deal as far as these charity auctions go. They do it at a number of other cons, but only the biggest cons compete with us in terms of money. This is a group of 5,000 high schoolers, mostly, mm-hmm. and what was a couple years ago they were... And you'll know it when you're in the elevator with them. Yeah. <laughs> I love anime fans. A couple years ago, they raised over $30,000 nice. just in one year. From 5,000 high schoolers. So that just kind of shows you the, the level of giving that's going on at these things. And the uh, guests of honor know that, and they bring the best stuff that they have to detour every year. So we get the best of the best. And I've thrown quite a bit of money at that. This year, I didn't get as much as I wanted. <laughs> I got the princess jellyfish thing. That was nice. But I really wanted the strike, which is wall scroll. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I fought... It's like, I'm going to scare people off. I can throw out a bit of 200 before this thing even begins. It's over 400 within seconds. Oh, <laughs> darn. You scared nobody, Don. I, nobody. My, my plan failed. <laughs> we each have $200 for breakfast. I apparently you just ah! irritated the dude that was going to go up to four. Damn it. They're not even a slow climb. I just... <laughs> uh, the thing with betting is once you get started, then like your brain starts thinking, oh, this really is worth that much. And I think I just convinced everyone, hey, this is worth a ton. And they just went crazy <laughs> on it. Like, oh, that went over my budget way fast. Darn it. I will say one of the things that I kind of took away, like, during the opening ceremonies when everybody was going up there, even though the skit itself was corny as hell. (laughs) But the actual, when they were introducing people that were guests or first-time guests or something like that, you really, at least I did, I, I did get a nice genuine sense from them that they were extremely happy and extremely pleased to be at this convention and you know, everybody talked about all the good things that they've always heard about this convention and, and things that they thought were, you know, and, and they, so far they've, they've really felt that they were true and stuff like that. So there was a lot of that repeat going up there and it didn't really, at least to me, feel like lip service as they were going up there. It felt, felt pretty genuine. That's why I wanted to get you at uh, opening ceremonies just to give you that, that feeling of what these guests of honor are like when it comes to detour and how much they love it. And these repeating guests, they come every year and without question. And Chris Ayers and I could have probably talked forever. Oh, uh, if, if, if we, we had going. a, ch- <laughs> I really wanted a chance to sit down and talk to him at the brunch, but yeah. we, yeah, yeah, that, <laughs> he was monopolized for most of it, unfortunately. 
But yeah, you two would totally get along with your uh, horror, <laughs> very similar likes. And that was the cool thing about being in his panel, because his panel was pretty much just ask me anything. I don't care what it is. It doesn't have to be anime related. Let's talk horror. Let's talk, you know, and so he was getting these rapid fire questions from like across the gambit from voices he's done in anime work to who he's worked with, the things he's worked on to which horror movies, what do you think of this remake? You know, all that kind of stuff. So it was, it was a fun little across the board kind of thing. That, and you get a really good kind of picture of him and his personality and, and stuff like that. And he's that. a fun guy. He's one that uh, my dad got a long conversation with at that brunch a few years ago, and they became good friends. So I've kind of gotten to know him through my dad. <laughs> Though, unfortunately, my dad got sick. He had to go to the hospital instead of making it this year, which was really sad. So I got a Get Well card, and I had a bunch of the voice actors sign it for him. Is he doing okay? Yeah, he's, he just had a virus, it turns out. Yeah, okay. He was laid up pretty bad for the weekend. Yeah, there's a lot of people asking about him. You know, when a voice actor comes up to you and says, Hey, where's your dad? I'm like, oh, <laughs> wish he was here. <laughs> Cause then maybe he'd want to talk to me. <laughs> One little... more way I disappointed my father. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, anything else you want to make sure we cover about anime detour? Nope. Nope. Go on. It was a good time. Now, I think you should attempt to go if you get a chance sometime, maybe. I mean, if it's something you're interested in. I liked it and I appreciated what it does. And there was a, like I said, the panels and stuff that I went to. I just, I don't know if it's something that I would continue to attend myself mm-hmm. personally, but a lot of that has to do with, even when you bring stuff over, usually like Jordan watches it and I don't get a chance to watch it or something like that or so. It's right there, dude. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you bring it over now. <laughs> I, I just wanted you to experience this different fandom that I'm a part of. No, and I, I, I appreciate it. I had a good time and I attended a, a bunch of different events throughout the entire weekend, a bunch of different panels. Uh, I must have walked through the dealer area. I don't know how many damn times, uh, looking mm-hmm. at all the different things and stuff. I will say though, did you get any high school of the dead shirts or anything? No, we, what did we find? That one place had a couple different wall scrolls and they oh, could, yeah. every time we walked, like they were selling. Cause every time we walked by, they either had a different one out or eventually they just got to the point where they did not have one out. Mm-hmm. But they were pretty cool scrolls. And things I just, just couldn't put up in my house. Well, and then I found one wall scroll. Well, that's gotta be a pretty big bar cause you're single. Who's, who's going to complain? Uh, I have had, put up some risque ones before and we, I've taken f- some flack over that. <laughs> but I, you know, I did find one high school of the dead one that was not risque and then it was too boring for Don. So <laughs> I've got taste. <laughs> so there's no pleasing the man. <laughs> but yeah, that was a lot of fun. I will say though, source, you are wrong. You are wrong. You are wrong. The source was there. They were selling Cards Against Humanity for 50 bucks, so double price. Bastards. <laughs> well, it is a game for horrible people, and apparently they're horrible people. <laughs> so, well, and apparently they just bought it and doubled the price to make their profit, because they don't sell to distribution yet. Mm-hmm. I think they're, I think I've heard some uh, mutterings that they might start, but right now they're just strictly Amazon. I've always heard about the price gouging on Cards Against Humanity when it's like when they were doing those small print runs. That was the first time I saw it, like 100% markup. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely not something I'd probably attend on a regular basis for sure. 
I can certainly understand it. If it was, if I wasn't such a huge fan and so excited to meet these people that work behind the scenes, then I now see either. somebody like Chris, if he would go to say like Crypticon where it's not as mm-hmm. major and come talk horror, then I could see him there every once in a while. But even that I'm not going to this year. So that's a uh, overview of anime detour. Like I said, it was a lot of fun. It was a, it was a good time. I'm glad I got to go. I'm glad I got to uh, see that side. Glad I got to uh, hear about various things from Don as far as the anime culture is concerned and uh, some of the panels I got to attend. Uh, definitely worth a trip. The VIP, the brunch thing for this was like a hundred times better than what they did at Crypticon where we got served oh, yeah. a cold, crappy meal. Although they did a show with it. And that was kind of cool. That's cool. But by the time they got done with the show and everything, everything you got served was completely cold. Wow. Oh. Which, after watching them pretend to kill the lady and make her the buffet and then getting cold meat. (laughs) It's fitting somehow. (laughs) Maybe it was planned. Maybe I just wasn't on board. I don't want to eat the interpretive art. Don is going to educate us again here on some anime. What do you got for us this time, Don? Well, before I go there, let me do my usual. Damn it. Every time. I've learned by now. It's not a surprise. I just want to do a quick overview of what's going on right now uh, with the um, spring season. There's a lot of card game-based series right now. I assume due to the popularity of Cardfight Vanguard, which is on its fourth series and 100 Close to 200 episodes now, I think. Uh, Future Card Buddy Fights still going. Majin Bone just started. Oreca Battle, Dragon Collection, Selected Infector Wizox. A whole bunch of them just started up. Trend, I guess. The series that got me the most excited this runaround are uh, Meikaku City Actors, which is getting a lot of buzz due to being a Studio Shaft production with Akiyuki Shinbu directing it. Tends to get a lot of attention that way, and I'm very excited because of that, too though it's only getting mediocre reviews. And the other one, Mushishi is back. It's a series that I saw a couple years ago released by Funimation. Did not do very well, unfortunately. A very cool show that's kind of a almost like a nature show, except for with these weird spiritual creatures. And this guy that just travels the countryside helping people that are having problems with these like strange parasitic, like Mushi, they're called. A very cool, almost spiritual show, and they finally, after years, are doing a second season, and I'm just overly excited about it. It's getting insanely good reviews. Totally excited it's back. Well, on to my discussion topic, which is going to be, why does Don like anime? Because this segment is always better when it's about me. Okay, I'm not that much of a narcissist. Oh, come on. I actually... <laughs> Sometimes. I have a couple other... Say reasons. it. Come on, Jeff. Say it. Oh, yep. Say it. Oh, yep. Nope. Two years ago when I was on... And I didn't know I had a segment. Jeff threw a sudden question at me. Is this a thing now? This is like, <laughs> I didn't know I had a segment. <laughs> like, like, is a bad thing? I'll blame Jeff. <laughs> threw me off my game a little. Uh, you asked me the question, why do you like anime? Wanted me to go into reasons for that. And I gave a couple reasons at the time, but there's a lot more I wanted to say, but left that for a future time. I thought, well, two years later. future is now. Seems like a good time. It's also something where, by listing my reasons and reasons I'm into it, maybe some people can connect with some of those reasons. Start to understand and 
maybe have reasons to try out anime because of that. So last time, uh, I talked two points. One of them being um, the filtering that the anime world goes through, and that uh, very few anime series are just off the cuff, um, comes out of nowhere. They're usually adaptations of something, usually a manga or a light novel or a game. And from that, there's a huge, huge selection of those things out there that they kind of cherry pick out of to make series from. It doesn't necessarily mean that the anime series is going to be good, but at least there's like a filtering level of they don't do everything, but they'll pick the best that they see out there, at least the most popular. It used to be filtering as they came over to us too, but now we get pretty much everything over here anyway. The other thing is a much bigger point is I really love the format, which the format is very popular throughout the world, but not so much here in the U.S. So that's been changing a bit lately of a single story per show. It's planned out from the beginning to be a certain length, beginning, middle, end. You watch it, enjoy it, you're done. If they do a second season, it's a follow-up story. It's not the, we come up with an idea and it's supposed to last as long as people keep watching it, but it really has a climactic conclusion to it. It's kind of like watching a movie, except for it plays out over a longer period of time. Now, we do have that now more in the U.S. with like Lost and stuff, but these tend to be much longer, planned for five, seven years. With far too long. That's and that's kind of a problem in that they end up having to do a lot of filler because you have to spill, fill a lot of time when you're We're doing. Looking t- at you, Marvel Agents of Shield. Good example. <laughs> <laughs> when you're doing twelve half-hour episodes and you're trying to tell a whole story, you got to kind of be concise and be a little bit quicker about actually doing stuff. So I love that whole concept and style, and I love being able to watch a show and move on to the next thing. Now, to get into other reasons, I'm not going to talk too much about some of the technical things. I just want to mention some. One being the music. Uh, the music in anime is treated pretty highly in general. It's it's more like uh, movie soundtracks than just slap some latest pop song in the background. They go into some big epic soundtracks sometimes, and there's some uh, composers who just their name alone will sell a series. Ones like Yoko Kano, who did Cowboy Bebop. Ghost in the Shell, or my favorite, Yuki Kajiura, I think is brilliant. I own a number of soundtracks myself. I just love the background music that they use in a lot of these shows. Also, the art style, um, just the um, anime aesthetic, how it looks, is something I personally like quite a bit. Let's go into other points, and continuing on, basically with the art style thing. The anime world is dominated by sci-fi, fantasy, kung fu, that sort of thing. There are some more realistic slice of life things here and there. I have not seen David Carradine once. <laughs> hmm. I've seen David Carradine like characters. <laughs> I've seen a number of Bruce Lee like characters, but it, it, it's really heavily invested in sci-fi fantasy, that sort of thing. And there's a fairly simple reason for that. And that they can, when you try to do this stuff live action, there's a huge problem of time and budget and insurance and insurance. Yes, that too. Trying to do... You're not going to get that live action. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, trying to do a lot of sci-fi or fantasy sort of stuff live action, you either got to do it cheap and have it look crappy or spend a lot of time and money making it look good. In today's world, we can do pretty much anything. I think James Cameron kind of proved that with Avatar, that you can make pretty much anything look live action now. Except a good movie. Thank you. <laughs> I'll say nothing about the quality of the movie, but graphically it was amazing. 
Well, that is true. But when it comes to actually drawing something, you're, you're creating a world by drawing it anyway. Whether you're drawing it like uh, buildings like we have today, or you're drawing imaginary buildings 2,000 years in the future, it's still the same amount of you know ink on paper. And in fact, to some extent, it's easier to do stuff that we don't see every day. Like if you have uh, a battle of giant robots, for example, versus uh, a drama of two people talking, us humans are very, very good at reading body language, facial expression, that sort of thing, which takes a lot of time and effort to animate. Whereas if you're seeing giant robots fight, well, it can kind of look like anything because you've never actually seen that happen before. So it'll look cool no matter what it is. Uh, one of the most interesting examples of that I saw was the Supernatural anime series. You know, the Supernatural live action show here in the U.S. Yeah, actually, the, I haven't watched it yet, but I have it upstairs. The Winchesters, the an- the I think. anime series, yeah. Yeah, they did an anime series because it's actually pretty popular in Japan, which I watched. And uh, they had an interview with the original creator of Supernatural, who watched the first episode and was blown away. Like Kripke or the anime creator? The uh, U.S. creator. Okay. He was blown away by an underwater fight scene. Like a ghost was choking him underwater or something. He said they could never do that in a live action TV show. They would never have the budget and insurance stuff to actually pull that off. But in anime, that's not hard to do at all. It's as easy as anything else, really. So that really kind of, for me, I've been a sci-fi guy since I was knee-high. My dad's huge sci-fi collection of books. I was reading Niven, Pornell, Herbert since I was a little kid. So I've always been way into that stuff. And when I saw this anime thing, wow, it's Akira, this huge sci-fi world, kind of Blade Runner-esque and cool action scenes and people's heads blowing up. Can you do that in cartoons? This is this is crazy. Uh, so it was a fairly easy jump for me to get into anime. Just being a sci-fi fantasy kind of lover. It goes beyond that with the art too. I would like to talk a little bit, kind of a side to what I was just talking about, what they can do with the art and just the freedom that the medium of animation gives you. If you want to see a U.S. example of that, Family Guy loves to push boundaries. They like to go as far as they can possibly do things in prime time and just get away with it because they're animated. I don't even want to bring up some of the examples. <laughs> but just being animated actually gives you a certain level of freedom that you wouldn't have in live action. Even some simple stuff, like the movie A Girl Who Leapt Through Time, a movie I love quite a bit. I watched it with my friend, and I was talking with him saying, they could have done that live action because... They make everyone look very realistic and a very kind of down-to-earth look. He said, no, it wouldn't really work. One of the things in the movie, one of the funny bits, is that the girl, when she jumps, she's not very good at landing when she lands through time. And she tends to smack her head in her telephone poles or against the wall or whatever, which in the movie is hilarious. But if you'd see that in live action, see a young girl smacking her head into things, it's not necessarily going to be funny looking. It might just be painful. I would laugh. (laughs) I admit it. That would last. We know. <laughs> then I'd push her again. <laughs> again, we know. <laughs> Slapstick in particular, there's a lot of stuff you can do animated that just would look sick if you actually did it live action. But it's hilarious in the world of animation. But anime tends to take things to a different level that I don't really think I've seen much of outside of anime. And that 
not everything you see is really actually there. Now, we're so used to in film, whatever you see is part of that universe. If you see a building, there's a building there in that universe, whether it's drawn or live action behind the camera, whatever. But there's also a level of freedom that you don't normally see where they can put things out there that aren't meant to be there and aren't meant to be seen, but are meant to communicate something to us viewers. A simple example in anime is the sweat droplet that you might see from time to time that suddenly a big sweat droplet appears on a person's head. It doesn't mean that the person's suddenly sprouting water or even necessarily sweating, but it's meant to convey a certain emotion. It's not that the other people in that universe can see it or can react to it, but we, the viewers, see it, and it means something. There's some other interesting examples. The shoujo, the girls' manga genre, likes to do this thing where they get the lead female first meets the Prince Charming character with the gleaming smile. And when she first sees him, sees his face, he's framed in flowers, roses. It doesn't mean he suddenly walked into a flower bed. It's just that rosy view from her perspective. Again, showing something that's not really there, not even in the universe of the show, but it's there for us as the viewer. Some creators have really taken this to interesting extremes. Kunihiku Ikuhara, who did um, Revolutionary Girl Utena, loved to put all sorts of symbiology and stuff in the show. Again, not really there, but there in a sense. And the movie in particular, where nothing in that movie is meant to be taken literally what you see. It's all metaphoric. Fascinating stuff. And uh, I mentioned before for Meikaku City actors, Akiyuki Shinbu, one of the greatest things I love about his style is his disconnect between what's in the, that universe and what you're seeing and how he plays with that, even in not even necessarily meaningful ways, but interesting ones. One of the, my favorite examples of that he's done, a little comedy called Hidamari Sketch about uh, just a group of girls going to a art school living in an apartment together. There's a very uh, common, well-used establishing shot in the show where they show the uh, mailboxes on the outside of the apartment. And every time they show the shot, the mailboxes are painted differently. Like one will be red and the other one's not painted. and Two will be yellow and one blue or something. It's, again, it's not somebody standing there painting it over and over again. And it doesn't even have a deeper meaning, but it might give you some suggestions, like that red box, that's where the next scene is going to be. Or the yellows and the blues, those are the characters that will be in the next episode. Stuff like that. Just kind of lightweight stuff that just kind of adds to the artistry of it beyond simple what you normally see in a show. That's the sort of thing I, I love to see, and I love to see more of. Uh, going into a different direction, the character-centric stories that I talked about last time, how these stories are more focused around how it's following the character storyline versus the actual plot storyline has an interesting effect. I said before that sci-fi was what really got me into anime in the first place. But it's actually not what made me the anime fan that I am today. When I was first watching anime, I was just picking up the stuff that seemed most interesting to me, just picking and choosing. And then my favorite review site just put on some best-of sort of things, that essential collection. I'm like, oh, okay, I'll get those even if I'm not particularly interested, if they're just that good. I got the series Battle Athletes Victory which is has a sci-fi element, but it's pretty much just a sports show. And it blew me away. I was just stunned by it. I couldn't believe a show could be that good for that long. And over time, I've come to like these much broader than just the sci-fi fantasy stuff. But I'm looking forward to a show about an idol singer or 
a tennis team, I began to realize over time that with these character centric stories, it doesn't matter so much what it's about because the story is really about the character. Whether you're talking about giant robots saving the earth or a baseball team going for a championship or a girl trying to become an idol singer, really the story's the same behind them all. It's just kind of addressing on top of them what the actual, the setting and kind of storyline is, but it's really the character that matters. If that part is written well, if that's the good stuff, then it's good no matter what that outside material happens to be. The last thing I want to say is, if you've listened to my reviews before, you may have noticed that there's kind of a theme there, in that when I watch this stuff, I really want to feel something. I talked about One Piece, uh, the, the heart behind the show, or um, Clannad talked about the message it was trying to get across. That's the sort of thing that I'm most excited about. And I'm not talking about going to like a, a tearjerker, crying my eyes out, and then an hour later don't even remember it. I'm talking about stuff that, if it makes me sad, I want to be shaken for a couple weeks. If it's a comedy, I want to chuckle every time I think back on the show. If it's a horror, I, I want to be scared and shaken up. I see this in movies and stuff from time to time. I haven't really experienced it much in terms of uh, live-action television, though there's a couple examples. But in anime, it's kind of the point of what they're trying to do. Last time I talked about not only character-centric stories, but how they try to place the viewer into the role of the lead character and experience their world and their story vicariously through them. So really the point is to make us feel the same things that the character does. When these stories are successful, it makes you do that. And that's where it really gets down deep and makes me feel something and understand something. And that's where I really come out and say, wow, this is why I watch anime. This is why I love it. And that's about all I have to say. Cool. So next time you're going to tell us why you hate anime. <laughs> um, much shorter talk. <laughs> Don't, dude. Did you listen? <laughs> So now it's time for a game review. We are going to be looking at Warhammer Disc Wars. What wars? Fantasy Flight Games. Yes. I said it. This is apparently the second iteration of this game. Yes. This was, at first blush, a pog game. So I scoffed heartily. We said, both did. I do not play pog games. It's not a Pog game. That's when a, they first listed yeah. it, all they showed was oh, the discs. They showed the discs. Okay. Yeah. We both had it in hands. This was going to be a Pog Just game. step back yeah. and let me finish. Man, <laughs> the hand came up. This is not a Pog game. <laughs> for those of us that had yeah, played the original, get backhanded. <laughs> it did not look like a Pog game. <laughs> well, for those of us who didn't, we scoffed mightily because it looked like a Pog game. <laughs> I'm not going to stand at my table and go, blink! Unless there's beer involved. So, it is... In the Warhammer Fantasy Battles world, and it is, as implied in the name, disc-based. Not pog-based, mind you, disc-based. Your heroes, uh, all your troops, everything are on these round pieces of cardboard. They give you all your stats on the disc. And it is very much a good cardboard adaptation of the Metal Minis game. Uh, the basic rundown is you build a team, an army, I should say, of up to three regiments. At least that's recommended in the book. I suppose you could go higher. Each regiment will have its own commander. Each commander has a certain number of build points. And then you build to those points with elite and basic troops. The different troops have different sizes, small, medium, and large discs. You have different sizing requirements you have to meet. 
uh, or not meet if you choose just not to use larger desks in your in your regiment. Each player builds their team, and then from the pool of cards, you set a deployment area. You'll set your victory points for the end of the game and any battlefield conditions. There's different things that pop up. One of the ones that we had was added movement for each pog. Mm-hmm. Sorry, for each disc. Um, <laughs> and there are things like uh, on, on the personal level, uh, extra points for each uh, hero level character you kill or extra points for each normal character that is or each normal troop that is removed from the game that kind of thing your deployment area can be one to three cards and that tells you how many character how many discs you can put out uh, in your initial deployment and if you have more discs than space allotted in your deployment cards those go into your reserves and they can come out as an action later on the mechanics are fairly simple all told and they do a good job of mimicking the, the minis game there are a few divergences the disc game is five rounds the minis game is six the discs game Damage wipes at the end of each turn, but uh, in the minis game, you are just whittling down uh, a unit, uh, so the damage does carry over. But f- for the purposes of the discs game, movement is very simple. You just flip your discs. If you get your disc onto another disc, that is called pinning it, and that will provoke melee. But they also have magic, though it's not its own phase like in the minis game, but magic, uh, some characters are able to cast. There's different conditions for them to cast and different uh, pros and cons for them to cast. And there's uh, a ranged attack phase. It is its own phase, much like in the minis game, where any of your discs that have a ranged attack, rather than moving or engaging in melee, they can shoot. And each type of disc that has a ranged attack has a different uh, amount of damage for that attack and different range, short, medium, long, and siege. And in the starting box, the there's two chaos or two forces of chaos and two forces of order factions. There's uh, the warriors of chaos and orcs, well, orcs and goblins technically, and then high elves and the empire. And they do a good job of embracing the characters and the units from the minis game and putting them on the little cardboard discs. There are gunners, there are big monsters, there's artillery pieces. And they do a good job of putting very similar game effects onto the discs that are in the minis game. So this game progresses for up to five rounds. Each person's going to have the table goal and their two private, uh, their own private goals. And it's very much a rinse and repeat of move or shoot or melee. You've got a set number of things you can do. Movement is very simple. It's just flipping your disc, turning your disc to get around things or just slamming it right down on something. Magic is very simple. It's got a set range, and then you just have to meet the conditions set down on your discs. Range is the same way. Everything that you need is on your disc. And even on the smallest discs, everything is fairly legible. The keywords are obvious. There's not a lot of fluff. I don't recall really any fluff of, of note on the disc. Everything is... Yeah, not on the discs. Everything is just what you need because some of the space is pretty tight, but everything is just what you need for those discs action. It's first player, second player. Initiative is in place, but after rolling for initial initiative, that's not just determines who goes first. It's a tiebreaker for, mm-hmm. for some things. Rules, choices, how things are going to proc, stuff like that. Each round... You've got your action cards. Action cards are determined by your heroes. And this is what your turn order or round initiative is yep. going to be. Uh, there's a little circle of what trumps what, with slow always being the last. And that tell you what your turn order is and then how many activations you get that turn. You know, it's generally between two and four. And that's how many units you can activate that turn. But most of these command cards 
also give an added bonus for that turn. You know, a disc activated on this turn gets extra movement or this turn, everybody gets an extra strength, that kind of thing. So there's uh, a, a round specific bonus with each round specific initiative. And once your initiatives are decided for each turn, you do your activations, you move, you shoot, you flop onto each other. Uh, and they've got really good mechanics pulled over from the game. Big units have impact hits in both games. So in this game, something with impact that flops over on a, a disc, you know, it immediately does those impact wounds. There's things like the artillery pieces, which in the minis game are just as likely to blow up on you as opposed to blowing up something else. And those are denoted in the, in the disc wars by, you know, if you roll two or more X's, like the Hellblaster, if you roll two X's, it just, it takes a wound. And if you do that twice, it, it dies because it only has one wound. Stuff like that. So the variability of artillery is handled very well in this game and it very much mimics the minis game. So on the whole, you're going to go through up to five rounds of, of back and forth. As with most games, totally wiping out your opponent gets you the win. But if you get to five rounds and everybody's still got people on both people still have discs on the table, then you go to your victory point calculations, you know, from your cards and whatnot and you know, any scenario specific stuff. That also mimics the uh the the mini tournament rules as well. There's always a scenario for each round in a tournament. You know, if you do this, quadrant control, building control, you know, whatever, kill a general, that kind of thing. Uh there's always extra bonus points for that. So this is a very fun cardboard adaptation of the minis game. And I say cardboard because that's the best part of the game for me. Everything's painted. Because uh, it's it's pre-printed, you know. I mean, and I like painting the minis. Don't get me wrong, but sometimes it's nice to have a fully colored army out in front of me, and not a painted unit of skeletons. But my lord is over here, still just primed, and I've got this dude that's just half painted because it's just kicking my ass because it's got too many details. So everything is nice and colorful, and there's a consistency across your entire army. It's very pretty to look at. And I don't mean that at all sarcastically. The artwork on the discs, I think, is very good. Even on the small discs, you get a good sense of what the unit is representing. And then when you get to the bigger stuff, like uh, you know the mid-sized discs, like Archeon, the Heroes, the Hero for Warriors, or the Hellblaster, or the Steam Tank on the Empire side, the art on all the cards takes up a good chunk of each disc. The symbologies around the, around the edge of the disc does not at all take away from the art on the disc. The art is very good in this game. Pogs. Yeah, they did a good job with the pogs. <laughs> they don't bounce that well, though. <laughs> there are three phases in a round, activation, melee, and end. So activation was what Jordan was talking about. That's where you, uh, each, everybody's going to choose their command card and do that secretly. Everybody does it simultaneously. Then you'll reveal, and then you'll go through the little rock, paper, scissory type chart to see who actually goes first. And then if there's a tie for if like two people have devious, uh, and, and one of them would go first, then that's where it goes back to your original initiative order. Uh, that's the individual that would get to go. So then you resolve those cards. Again, they all pretty much almost all have special abilities. There's a few that don't, but those are usually like, you get to activate more units, but you don't get a special ability. But there's all kinds of things like you might proc something off of something close to your hero and, and empower a unit or all that kind of stuff that Jordan was talking about before. And this is also re- part of resolving that card is also activating however many troops you get to do. And that's where you get to move them and do all the pinning or decide if you're, you know, using your range and all that stuff. And then you'll throw an activation token on them to show that they've been activated this turn 
melee occurs if an enemy and, a, and an opponent are pinned, then you'll go into a melee phase and you'll resolve melee combat between them. And that's pretty much straight up unless there's some keywords that kind of come in. Uh, every unit has a, here's my attack value that I'm, I'm doing in damage and here's my defense or my counter attack value that I'm doing back to something if I'm the one pinned. So you'll just kind of exchange those two, see if anybody gets wiped out out of, out of the deal and kind of move on from there. End phase is really just it's just a cleanup phase. It's cleanup and trying to figure out if you're any end, end of, of round. Phase that, yeah. Yeah, any end of phase effects that might be in play and then right. kind of clean up all your excess defense. If there are still units on the field that have not been activated and or you have cards left, because you can potentially still have units to bring onto the battlefield in your reserve pile. So if either everything's activated on the field or you have car, uh, or you're out of cards, or everybody's out of cards actually, because if you still have cards left uh, and unactivated units, you would still get to go until that was no longer proper. Once that's done, though, that ends that round. And like Jordan said, everything clears off your units except wounds. Those units that are allowed to carry wounds, your smaller units, pretty much just take their points and die. Others can take a certain amount of wounds before they come off the field. And you rinse and repeat that for five rounds. All right, so you kind of talked about it a little bit, but we usually start with components. And I, I'll agree with you. I mean, it's the artwork is really well done, I think. The uh, components that we got work really well. I like the aspect of pull everything out of the box and your table is your battlefield kind of thing. I mean, you get cardboard terrain and that's another thing that you kind of get to choose from uh, the various types of terrain that come with it and whatever abilities are going to come with the terrain but again you're not hauling out huge pieces of terrain you've got a nice fairly good size representation of a forest of a cave of a hill of a windmill you know that kind of stuff a yeah the, this is a three by three table as opposed to the standard tournament reg for the minis game is four by six. So it's, it's a big space savings. <laughs> yeah. And it still takes up a good amount of space, but it's one of those things where, I mean, three by three was the, I mean, it's, it really you could just say, okay, whatever table you're playing on, this is our battlefield kind of thing. Don't go off the table, <laughs> but yeah, all, all the pieces work really well together. I think the, the cards are, are good. We had plenty of tokens, everything we needed a token for. <laughs> In this game, we had a token for everything we needed. <laughs> and it, it was all uh, uh, decent quality stuff. It's it's what you kind of expect coming out of Fantasy Flight. There, there are lots of bits. Box full of cardboard. Box full of cardboard. <laughs> and it all works. So, mechanics. You've kind of already said that you thought it was a really good adaptation from the miniatures game. But in general, for this as a as a board game, what do you think of the mechanics on this? As one? a standalone game, not giving any thought to, you know, the minis game, I still think this is a very good game. The mechanics are fairly simple by design. You can find most keywords with ease, <laughs> uh, in the book. So if you've got any questions about what's written on your disc, it's fairly easy to resolve. Everything that you need is on the disc and the mechanics of using everything that you have is fairly simple. Mechanically, I think this is a very solid game. And they've got some interesting decisions like your deployment zones, 
both varying size and numbers. You know, the basic three unit on the back or the flip side might have more units, but no power or that that part of your deployment zone has uh, fewer units, but a special ability, you know, plan deployment, stuff like that. And they're going to be expanding on that, <laughs> expanding on that in the expansions. Like in the, the VC one, one of the, so one of the cards they showed is going to be, uh, it doesn't look like it's have any powers, but it's going to let you have six just in that unit, that zone. It's if you're going to have a, you know, like a one zone deployment area. So that I think is really cool the way they handle deployment. And then just the concept of pinning, you know, you've got to be on somebody for melee. There's uh, some, some pretty good, some pretty solid mechanics here. Yeah. I, I like it very much. I agree with you, especially on the, the deployment thing. Cause the, the other thing that's kind of cool is not only do you have to decide which side you're using, do I want this special ability, like you said, and not be able to put out as many troops because of that? Or do I use the flip side, get no special ability, but be able to deploy more troops in this area? And then the other thing was if you have multiple cards, being able to put your cards together and that ends up making one big deployment area, but then you just have that one kind of focused area that might have that special ability. So you can put it together with another card and that becomes one big area that you can have that total amount of units in that space, but then you still got that one area that might have the cover. So you might take the smaller one and pair it with a larger one, a larger deployment area to be able to get four total. Like your, your special ability may only allow you to have one unit in that area, but if you pair it with a three and put them together right next to each other, Suddenly you can have four and kind of use that special ability, but you have to stack them all on that one side or whatever. So there's some pretty cool little decisions that, or you can split them and have multiple entry points into the battlefield. So just little things like that are kind of cool. Yeah. Like you said, the, the pinning thing, making a decision. I mean, even because you also can pin your own units. And of course, in that aspect, I'm like, you know, you can roll over each other, which you don't want to do if you have impact because you do affect yourself as well. But if you're massing up your troops in one area and you kind of got them on top of each other, now you're, you're building how you're going to have to deploy them next time because you can't move anything that's pinned even by yourself. You can't say, oh, well, I need to pick these two guys up because he's going to scurry out the bottom. You can't do that kind of thing. So you've got to be thinking about that stuff as well. And then the pinning aspect in combat too, like you're talking about, cause you get that scrum moment, right? Where, all right, he's got me pinned, but if I pin him, then I get to attack first cause it's, it's, you yeah, know, it's resolved top, in stack top order, down. Yeah. yeah. So there's some cool little things that nice little twists that you can do in, in here. And you know, I'm not coming from the miniature side. So I enjoyed it straight up. You know, for, for what it was, I think there was. I tell you, in the minis game, if somebody dropped their tray on my tray, I'd I'd probably just cross (laughs) the table and slap somebody. (laughs) I think they did a really good job with, with the mechanics. And, and yeah, most of the keywords, the keywords all make sense once you get to know some of them are a little harder to find, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. (laughs) Their learning scenario was pretty decent to get us through to learn the basics. And it, and the way they set it up was, you know, read to this point. Now play the learning scenario. So that was, they did a good job there, which is kind of getting into our next section, which would be rules. (laughs) Overall, this is not a horrible rule book. It's not FFG's best though. No, but it's not their worst either. (laughs) So it's somewhere middle of the road. Few things that they did that at least I think they did right. Like I said, the learning scenario stuff was kind of cool. It's you read up to a certain point and they go, okay, 
now you can go ahead and play uh, with these units in this base game, and you should be fine. And we were. We did great. Uh, it was going through that and then immediately wanting to play our own game and then finding out all the things that they let you get away with in the basic <laughs> scenario, like, oh, we get four cards because they want you to see the slow, steady, you know, devious, bold, all that stuff. And then all of a sudden we're like, well, do we get extra cards because of our, you know, little things like that. We had to kind of, now we really got to start digging into the rule book a little bit. Some of the keywords are a little more difficult. Siege is a big one for us. There is an index on the back, which is nice, but siege is nowhere on here. <laughs> So it was, you, you gotta really do some digging to kind of figure out exactly what Siege is doing. So when you find something in here, it's usually pretty decent. Graphically, it's not the best laid out. When you get to the keyword section on the last couple pages there, they've got like really big gold letters. Draw your eye to this. And it's, but I want to be over here, but it's, um, and it's always drawing you to look at the same place. Everything is laid out, but it's not necessarily visually the best layout. Once you, you look at the index and realize what you're not, what you're looking for isn't there though. You got to page around a bit. It's not necessarily bad. It's just not the best. You, once you find what you're looking for, it does answer your question. Yes. It's just in some cases, finding what you're looking for can be a bit confusing. And even then, some of the wording within what you're looking for. You know, I just don't think you should have to go to BGG, uh, you know, or even the the FFG forums for, for clarification. That was only a couple things, though. For the most part, visual complaints aside, it's I mean, it's a decent book. Everything you need is in there. Yeah, we played multiple times. Again, the one thing that we probably played wrong the most was Siege. But as we were playing the game, even if we had to Well, stop, the way my artillery was blowing up, that didn't matter. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, did, it didn't really matter because <laughs> Jordan can't roll dice to save his life anyway. <laughs> we maybe had a couple side conversations between ourselves to come up with a consensus, but pretty much it was look at the index, find it, the one or two places it, it might show it. And between those, we usually got a decent answer off of what we were looking for. One thing I, I found kind of weird is that they put the disc anatomy on the back. That's usually something you're looking for like right away. Like, what does the disc do? At first, I thought it wasn't in here. And then I re remembered seeing something on the back. It's, it's the, everything that about your disc is on the very back page. Usually that's one of the first things you kind of lead with, right? Here's the anatomy of the piece that you're going to be using the most, <laughs> but it's there. Which is nice. I mean, you know, and so. all the key symbols too are are in the back. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Well, that doesn't do me any good if I have to then reference the index to find <laughs> out what that symbol actually means. Well, it does because <laughs> the index is right above it. Exactly. <laughs> There's a twisted logic a, there. But. Then you'll go find the place. But yeah, overall, again, this is not the worst rule book I've ever seen from Fantasy Flight, and I think we did pretty well with it overall. There's just a few things that we had to go find at outside sources, so. If you're looking to play the game, you can play it mostly off of the rulebook. I mean, primarily. There, there is a fact I saw that they've put together for some things. Jordan and I are still amazed at the amount of rule lore we find all the time <laughs> once we start looking at things that isn't coming from us. <laughs> if, if we're not thinking of it in that terms of screwing <laughs> each other over, it's amazing how other people are. <laughs> Teachability. Would you say? I mean, you came over. I kind of showed it to you the first round, and then you kind of took over for games after that. Yeah, I mean, the learning scenario is very, uh, very good. 
whether you're going to use that as an example to teach somebody or you two people are just sitting down for the first time and working through that together. Teachability, either through the scenario or through another person, I think is pretty easy. It's streamlined. It's There's only certain things you can do in certain phases, and the main phase is where everything happens. Uh, you know, your moves, your attacks, and all that is is laid out very well. So teachability, yeah, pretty good, pretty high. I think this is an, an easy one to kind of pick up overall. You know, somebody more casual maybe might be a little overwhelmed because, I mean, there's a lot going on on the discs and, and that kind of There's keywords to look up and stuff like that, right? But at its foundation, this is a pretty simple game, like you said before. As, as Don said while you were checking to see which of your dogs had died, um, <laughs> this is mechanically a very solid game and it can be skinned to, you know, almost, it could be skinned to almost anything. Right. Yeah. And there are a lot of things that I like about it as a non miniatures player. You and I kind of talked about it when we were playing. I mean, I like the fact that I'm not pulling out a ruler and trying to figure out my movement and all that stuff. It's, you know, flipping it. I mean, that's one of the reasons why on the miniature side that I really like hero skate, right? Cause it's, it, one, it's pre-painted, but your movement is hex-based, and and there's not all this measuring and 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 stuff like that. And uh, you might do some line of sight stuff, but that's fine. And you do this in in this game too. You can measure line of sight if your cardboard terrain is potentially blocking something. But that part I'm fine with. It's just I don't know what it is about the whole. You know, and especially if you get with somebody that's really anal about it and, oh, you moved that like half an inch too much, <laughs> you know, whatever. So all of those things, I think this is a very teachable game. I think a casual moving into medium game player will definitely have not have an issue with it at its core. It's, it's a pretty simplistic system and you just got to kind of work with keywords. All right, so theme. I don't know if I really have to ask you what you think of the theme. Sucks. (laughs) Yeah. No, I like it. I mean, obviously, I'm a fan of the minis games, and I read some of the, some of the, you know, the the licensed books and stuff like that. No, I I I like it. It's good theme. It's it's the Warhammer Fantasy Battles on cardboard. Yeah. Overall, to me, the the theme uh, is an enjoyable one. I'm not a miniatures player, like we've established. I haven't really. I've read some of the like Gore-Tex and Felix books and stuff like that. So I've read some of the fantasy stuff. I kind of like them, but they're also kind of a hard read, (laughs) at least those specifically. But overall... Sometimes you can hear the dice rolling. (laughs) Sometimes, yeah. (laughs) Sometimes you can hear when the uh, player behind the character had (laughs) one too many beers. (laughs) (laughs) But the overall theme, I mean, the the fantasy-based theme is one that appeals to me. I am a, you know... old school, you know, D&D and I love Descent and all that kind of stuff. So uh, the theme appeals to me, I, I think, and it works really well in, in this game. So fun factor slash overall, what are you going to give it? Well, I can't give it a 10. <laughs> no, it is pretty high fun factor. Whether you're going to go light in just one regiment or you're going to, you know, bulk up, do three regiments, do multiplayer, because they've got multiplayer rules in there, you know, however you want to do it, however big or small you want to be, how many players you want to have on there. It's uh it's a fun game, just straight up. Even if this wasn't Warhammer Fantasy, you know, I mentioned somebody had done a Disc Wars L5R back in the day. The first time discs were popular, apparently. <laughs> the dark ages of gaming is where I was only doing RPGs. Uh so yeah, it's uh 
the mechanics lead to a fun game as long as you are keen on the uh, the theme. Again, this is one that Jordan and I mocked thoroughly before, and I happened to get it an inexpensive copy, and I recant my mocking. Yeah, I am it, totally I mean, sold. That's kind of where we're, where I'm going here. I mean, we we decided to play it kind of on a whim, kind of let's go ahead and mock this is where we were originally going with this. And we actually had something else scheduled to review, but they had to, they, they've, I, I think this is the one that canceled their Kickstarter. So it's not going to come out. And this happens to be the game that Jordan and I have been playing quite a bit lately. And for fun factor slash overall for me, this is a great game. This is a game that, like I said, we sat down and go, <laughs> Oh, this is going to suck. And we got. It doesn't matter what BGG says, like <laughs> no. 8.2 out of 10. No, this game's gonna no, suck. No, no. <laughs> and we sat down and we went through the learning scenario and immediately we're like, let's play again. Let's, let's build our own stuff. Let's, let's do this ourselves. You know, and so we got into it right off of the learning scenario and we're hooked. And we played multiple times. We played multiple days. We, Knew we were going to review this and made the switch. And then instantly after getting done, we both kind of said, all right, we, we can review this, but let's play some more. So it's become a game. It's become one of our little fun go-to kind of games. It's, it's in the rotation now, I think. Uh, this is like. Now you're living dangerously and you've <laughs> pre-ordered yes. the two expansions. I'm waiting for them to actually be released <laughs> and then I'm going to order everything. I don't want to pre-order those things and have another FFG end of the quarter thing and it's going to get pushed back for three years or something. Well, that's fine. If you get yours first, we can play with yours until I get mine. So yeah, and I have, I pre-ordered the, the next two things and, and it's definitely, like I said, it's come into our rotation. This is one of our, it's like, Mage Wars, Netrunner, Warhammer Disc Wars now is kind of our top three rotations right now, I think. For if, if we can get together and we're not doing a review game, one of those three are probably going to get pulled out. So we, uh, recant and thoroughly approve. Doesn't happen often, folks. Any feelings that were hurt? I mean, mark I'm, the calendar. <laughs> I'm harsh, but I'm also fair. I, I, I withdraw. <laughs> What are you? Uh, what are you reviewing with us this time, Don? Ah, the review this time is Helsing Ultimate. I bastard. Was it Ultimate? Bastard. <laughs> <laughs> I suspect I won't have to do as much convincing for this one as I have for other series. I'll just have to say it's a super vampire versus cult-powered super Nazis in an <laughs> uber-violent splatterfest. And Jordan was rooting for the Nazis. I'll get to that. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I already got some people interested just by saying that much. Helsing is one that, why would I pick this one after something like Clannad? Well, I wanted to create as much whiplash as possible, obviously. This wasn't the sequel to Clannad? <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> you said there was a follow-up that would have blown me away. I just... <laughs> um, you didn't see that coming, did you? I was just no. waiting for Moya to show up. <laughs> 
Uh, I guess that kind of demonstrates what I'm getting at is a very different genre. Still within anime world, but completely different type of show. Before I get into it too much, let me just go over the details of what this thing is. The manga for Helsing started back in 1997, and it ended in 2008. Written by Kota Hirano and serializing Young King Hours. In 2001, Gonzo, Studio Gonzo, decided to do a 13-episode TV series based on the Helsing manga. Which, if you heard, it goes, went until 2008, and they did this in 2001. So, not much of the manga had been out yet. It was released by Jenny on USA in 2003. And my feelings on the show are the same as a lot of people. It started really good. And then just kind of when it went its own direction away from the manga, it kind of, eh, eh, so-so. Well, later on, starting in 2006, Jenny on Japan decided to do a OAV series for it and do it the right way. And OAV series are sometimes OA, OAV or OVA, either one. It stands for Original Video Animation or Original Animated Video. There's a couple others. Basically, it's a direct-to-video, which has kind of a negative connotation here in the States. So there's, I'd like to think it's turning around like the uh, the Marvel movies, I mean, the uh, DC movies, sorry. Straight-to-video have been pretty good, a lot of them. Uh, in Japan, the whole OAV thing. The anime, you mean. <laughs> the DC anime. Or animation. Animated, yeah. Animated yeah. movies, yeah. Yeah, that's what I meant. Uh, OAVs have been popular in the anime world for a, a number of years. Usually it's just a couple episodes tagged onto a TV series existing show. But this is an entire OAV series done just to adapt the manga. The great thing with doing it as an OAV versus a TV series is you get away from the restrictions that are put on you when you're doing a TV show. Now, at the time, Japan wasn't as restricted as it is here, though that's changed. But even still, I'm sure you can attest to this when you see a Helsing, there's a lot of things in there you shouldn't put on TV <laughs> and could never be put on TV. Especially not live action. <laughs> I uh, <laughs> I wouldn't even imagine how you could get away with that live action. No, it's extremely violent, sometimes very dark. Not the sort of stuff that you can get away with on TV, which is why one of the reasons why the TV series was really, it was held back a lot. So they started making this in 2006 and it went through 2012 for tw 10 episodes total, about an hour each. First four episodes are done by Satellite, then the next three by Madhouse, and the last three by Grafenica. Ginny on USA started releasing it pretty much immediately when it came out. Did the first three, then closed their doors. With a partnership with Funimation, they put out the fourth one in 2008, and then we waited four years until Funimation finally stepped up and picked up the next four of them in 2012. To us, great surprise and cheers. There have been two more episodes since that point, and I was going to tell everyone a big warning that this series is not complete here in the U.S., except for just this last weekend. With a timely announcement, Funimation just announced they're doing the, the next two this fall. So it will be the complete show pretty soon. Yes, Jordan, it'll be done soon. Cliffhanger! <laughs> Apparently he forgot my warning that it's incomplete. <laughs> uh, the story is about the Royal Order of Protestant Knights, which is led by the Helsing family. The founder of which is actually supposedly the Helsing from the Dracula myth. The current head of the order is Sir Integra Fairbrook Wingate's Helsing who is a woman of iron will. 
trying to do uh, what their mission is, which is to search and destroy those that threaten queen and country from the undead and other supernatural forces of evil. If you didn't catch that, it's located in England somewhere. Aside from Sir Integra, the group also has um, the one we originally see the world through, which is a originally young policewoman named Sarah's Victoria. Police girl. Police girl, yes. Who has some pretty bad things happen to her in the very beginning <laughs> and gets turned into a vampire and is brought into the Helsing organization. This is more or less where you meet Alucard. Now, the Helsing organization has a number of badasses alone, but their real powerhouse is Alucard, who is an ancient vampire who is under their control. He is an interesting character, to say the least. He's not like your kind of wild dog that's barely chained up that they send out. In fact, I'm not even sure he's really contained by them, though it's kind of suggested, but I kind of get the feeling he could leave if he wanted to. But he seems to like it there, at least to some extent. He takes his orders because he likes the orders he's given. That's that's the impression I get. He likes the orders he's given, and he's fascinated by Sir Integra mm. as well, I think. Um, the English voice actor, Crispin Freeman, in the interviews talked a bit about his character. I think he nailed it right. Alucard's a very ancient, extremely powerful guy, and he's just bored. Mm. He's just looking for some sort of stimulation. He wants, a, he wants a good fight. He wants something that could challenge him. And you see that in the fights, too, as he's, oh, you can hurt me. Well, this is fun. <laughs> this, that, uh, total excited feeling he gets. Interesting characters aren't just limited to the Helsing organization. There's some others as well, such as from the Catholic side. We have Father Alexander Anderson, otherwise known as the Paladin, who is a monstrous combination of faith and science, whose badassness almost rivals that of Alucard. And when they meet, they don't exactly get along. Doesn't go well. There's also an entire squadron of super Nazis. These are Nazis that managed to hide away after World War II, and they have crazy occult powers. And a lot of the show is like, okay, initially figuring out what they're trying to do and trying to deal with them. But these are people with monstrous, crazy powers that can go up against even the likes of Alucard. This isn't the kind of show where I'm going to say it has a deep meaning or deep message or it's going to touch your heartstrings. Uh, maybe you can come up with some complicated thing of what the Nazis mean in today's world and what Alucard... Uh, I think you're missing the point if you're doing that. This show is all about spectacle. This is going up in your face and blowing you away. It is super violent. Alucard is crazy powerful. Like When he really gets rolling, he goes way beyond what you think of a vampire and goes almost Lovecraftian. And th these monsters and these Nazis are ridiculously powerful with insane abilities. And the show holds nothing back ever. Well, there's a lot of blood. It really revels in its violence. But I mean that in a good way. It's not the sort of thing like you see in what we call torture porn sometimes in movies where it's just there to put the camera on and make you squirm as just a horrible thing happens to a nice person. It's well, not if this was live action, it would definitely be classed as torture porn. There's definitely a lot of... But it doesn't dwell on these it things. It doesn't though. dwell on it. No, it, it's just very much, this is a scene that we're doing to show a defeat and we're going to move along. But how they how they do it, if they did it in, in, in live action, it would definitely be, yeah, you know, Eli Roth. <laughs> the show treats its humans more or less like the vampires do, which is kind of like an edible paper mache. You just don't last long against them. And it really works well for the show in that it really sets a tone. Like, you really get a sense of how powerful these things are. And you see some humans hold up 
with some vampires across the barricade, and you're thinking, I know exactly what's going to happen when that barricade falls, without a question. <laughs> it's not pretty. But it, it goes way beyond just the, the tone. It just has so much fun with it. And there's so many scenes where it just it draws it for the spectacle to make it exciting, to make it intense. I just very early on, even when they go in the, the first meeting of Alucard and Anderson and these awesome looking scenes and just this clash of Titans going on and just a little bits like, well, even before that, in, in the first village, when they're up in Cheddar and it's it's the lesser. Well, that's the cool part. The ghouls with guns, you know, the, the vampire oh, yeah. minions in, in this world, they maintain a lot of their mobility and, and motor skills. So they've just wiped out a whole like county's worth of police and they're now ghouls and they remember their weapons training. So it's ghouls shooting people up as well as trying to gnaw on them. But like right away, the first meeting in Cheddar, she says they've, they've sent in their secret weapon. So we, we know it's the vamp because that was the setup you know, from her history. And right off the bat, it just kicks off with he's charging in and the ghouls with guns just shoot him to pieces. Just, and he's just walking forward and bits and pieces of him are getting blown off. It's like his coat is going, it's bullets, not just big enough to put a hole in him, like whole swaths of fabric and his body are leaving him. And they're showing this. It's, it's excellent. <laughs> just so wildly over the top and, and loves it, just revels in, in doing this. And then you know, Alucard pulls himself together, whips out his enormous gun and starts blowing things away gleefully. It, that's I love this stuff. You know, that's what it's there for. It's there to, to smile and, oh, gosh, yes, that's awesome. But even then, like I said, you, it can make you squirm a little bit sometimes, too. That fight against Rip Van Winkle. Oh, uh, I, I don't think I'd feel bad for a monstrous character before. But yeah. the one that got me was... um down in Brazil. Um, Alhambra? Alhambra, yeah. Because he's always, e each vampire is a little bit more powerful than the last. So he's always doing a little bit more. The first vampire, he just mocks, just mocks to death, literally. He just <laughs> rips him to pieces and then mocks him for not being vampire enough to pull himself <laughs> together and then kills him. Well, the next one, the death gets just that much better. Each vampire has its own little shtick in this world, apparently. So Alhambra, he was, he's like a card dude. He's gambit. He's just throwing cards that explode all over the place. And it's the final showdown and uh, Alucard's going in with just a bit, his, his gloved hand and Alhambra's coming down with his card, you know, very much gambit style. He's just going to touch you with the charged card kind of thing. And this is, again, where it goes to the torture porn side of it, if you want to go there. He finishes him off by driving his hand through the card, through his hand, all the way up through his arm, just bisecting his arm completely all the way up to his shoulder and ripping his heart out. It's just excellent deaths for these vampires. <laughs> and doesn't hold back for a second. It doesn't. And as each vampire gets more powerful, uh, Sir Integra just, there's these layers of restraint that are supposedly on him. Each time the vampire gets more powerful, the, the scene, the, is, is more dire. They just keep releasing more and more of these restrictions that are supposedly on him so that as the vampires get more powerful, their deaths just get more gruesome as, as he releases more of himself to, to deal with these people, unpeople. Then if you think it wouldn't go any farther, then it hits the London arc. <laughs> <laughs> and wow. But there's some great material in there with, though, with Sarah's Victoria, her development. Well, that's the, yeah, the, the start of the London arc, because it's all been very much a la carte at that point, and Sarah's Victoria trying to, not become a vampire. She's bitten, but she hasn't taken in blood yet. So, and she doesn't want to take that step. She's still becoming kind of awesome with the Harkonnen canon, though. Yes. 
So right at the beginning of the London arc, Alucard's off doing a thing. You know, I'm not going to spoil it, but he's doing this other thing. So then, then it, 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 there's always this little, you know, pre-credit bit. And this pre-credit bit is, I had this horrible dream where I was not fighting anybody. And then the, the, the voiceover dude comes on. No, no, that's correct. Uh, you're not in these next three apps. You have nothing to do with them. This is all about Terrace Victoria. What? This is my show. <laughs> it has a weird sense of humor. It does. It's just bizarre, but funny. Yeah. Then it goes just crazy with Sarah's, which is awesome too. And, uh, Jordan was treated to the cliffhanger that it comes to at the end of episode eight and wrote me a nasty email. <laughs> well, it's not even Anderson and Alucard. The hell's up with Walter? Oh, that's what I want to know. There's another cliffhanger. Oh my gosh. So for, for the whole first two, four discs, spoilers, Walter, the spoilers. Well, I'm not getting it, but Walter is, you know, the dedicated butler and he has things going about him because he's part of the van, he's part of the Helsing Institute. So he's special and he's dedicated to Sir Integra. And then out of nowhere, he's with the Nazis. Why? What happened? What do they have on him? What have they done? How did they turn him? I want to know. <laughs> so fortunately, the last two will be coming out soon. You can find this in a lot of places, um, not only on Blu-ray. But uh, found on Funimation.com, of course, has it. YouTube, Hulu. I, I assume that Netflix has it. Before I sign off, I do want to talk a little bit about the dub that went for it, as it was something that was worried about almost as much as the show itself. When uh, Helsing Ultimate was first announced, people kept asking, are you going to get the same cast from the TV series, the same cast? Yes. And then when Funimation picked up years later, are you going to get the same cast? Are you going to get the same cast? Well, yes, they did too, thankfully. The TV series, when they did that, since it takes place in England, they decided to go with accents for people. Use the Queen's English for the Helsing organization and different accents for, like, the, you know, the Germans would have a German accent, for example. And like anything else, if you go online and you look at, you can find hate out there. People complaining, oh, those horrible fake sounding British accents. Cause, you know, the internet's like 20% hate. Only? That's like 80% porn, so. Yeah. Well, yeah. But <laughs> I'm not finding the issue here. <laughs> but where, what about the cats? Nobody hates the cats, oh, and the cats aren't in the right. porn I that I watch. I didn't consider anyway, that part. So. You can find people complaining, sure, but when they cast the show, they used real British actors to do these parts. Like uh, Sir Integra Helsing is played by Victoria Hardwood, British-born person. They found real British actors, so those who are complaining about those fake-sounding, terrible-sounding accents owe the UK people an apology. Uh, I think they did a fantastic job, and a lot of people do. And when they stepped up and redid or did these last couple these couple years ago to go through the efforts that they did to find the, their cast again as many as they could, like KT Gray who did Sarah's Victoria, she went she's like lives in Oregon in a commune now or something like one of those places that has like one telephone in it. They managed to get her back to L.A. just to do the part to do a ridiculously violent vampire show. I think she's my favorite voice. She pulls it off when when she goes like way crazy killerish. It like it works. They went with a surprising kind of curious accent for Father Anderson. Went Scottish with him, but Stephen Brand, who played him, just did such a good job. I can't imagine Anderson any other way. Well, for the the division that they're trying to do between Catholicism and the C of E, that I mean, it kind of makes sense. He's either going to be Scottish or Irish, and and they couldn't go Irish, so. right? And it absolutely worked. And he he just chews the scenery every time he's around. Steals the show. He's fantastic. He gets oh just. I mean, it's about Drac, um, Alucard. Well, okay, there it is. It, it, Alucard is just the anagram of Dracula. So that's a there's bit a, of a spoiler. There's but. a story behind that too, actually. When they first started doing the dub, they came to them as Arucard. 
Yeah, because that's how it shows up in the credits, too. Yep. And they're like, <laughs> um, you mean Alucard, right? I said, no, it's Dracula reversed. Because <laughs> the uh, Japanese have a problem with L's and R's. They're, mm-hmm. just, they're the same sound to them. So like, some the staff sort of thing happens sometimes. <laughs> but Anderson being the villain, but he's not really a villain. He's just like Bester or Magneto. You know, he just he he's, has his own worldview and his organization is working towards that. He gets the best monologues. Oh, he does. And Stephen Brandis just delivers them with such flair and excitement. And of course, Crispin Freeman is Alucard, just crazy over the over the top of this fantastic character. Just love listening to him. So if it sounds something exciting, blood pumping, if you're into that wild, over the top, super fun violence, this is the show for you. Helsing Ultimate. And just a quick update: while you were still talking, I looked it up. It is not on Netflix streaming, at least. Oh. I was going to add it to my queue. Thanks for looking. <laughs> I do have one problem with this, but it's not the content. Well, it is the content, but it's not overall. We're on to this post-Soviet era now. Okay, so I know I know this was originally created in post in like the early 2000s, but to Nazis again? It's just <laughs> they were as an organization, yes, they were not stellar. But let's just move on. We're in the post-Soviet era. <laughs> Vampires versus occult Nazis. Come on, what more do you want? Uh, well, I didn't want the KKK. That's the other thing that showed up. The you mean the Catholics? Well, yes, yes, yeah. Right, right. The Catholic, the Vatican releases its army of vampire hunters, and it's all very much standard. The romanticized view of the the Crusader armors and, and robes, and then they got the big white conical hats on. <laughs> I'm like, good God, just burn a cross while you're at it. No, you've, you've just lost a little bit of credibility. But. I love Anderson talking about how the one thing he hates almost as much as undead is Protestants. The Protestants, yeah. I still love how you're, you're, you're still rooting for and, and lobbying for the Nazis to get a better PR firm. I, I'm not saying they need a better PR firm. I'm saying, <laughs> 70 years. Okay, we've had 70 years of them as the bad guy. Deservedly so. Whether it's, you know, a bridge too far, the great escape, even, you know, Indiana Jones. Okay. That, but even Indiana Jones has moved on to the Soviets. We're in a post Soviet Union era. Aliens. But there were also Soviets involved. So let's, let's do, let's just move on to the post Soviet era. We've got the new bigger bad. Okay, because that was the defining evil for that generation. I understand that. We're the Cold War generation now. I I just I'm tired. I'm you know Dead Snow. It's it, it's done. Dead Snow was awesome. It was what awesome. But it, the supernatural Nazis. It's play. It's like steampunk. It's there, but it's been overused. Steampunk Nazis. <laughs> Give it a chance. That was called uh, Frankenstein's Leviathan. Army. No. Frankenstein's Army. Did you see that one? <laughs> no. Oh, that was awesome. But uh, I think that was also, no, I think that was a Napoleonic book. Well, whatever. I'm just saying, post-Soviet era, let's, let's move on to the Soviet villains. They can do it on FX. Come on, PR firm. <laughs> it's about time you give the Nazis a better rep. I nominate saying, Jordan. I'm not saying they need a better rep. That's... It's pretty irreparable. Uh, you know? They're... What have they done to you lately? That's their new slogan. <laughs> well, you know, ask the boys from Brazil how that thousand year Reich is going. Release the hounds. 
Moving on. <laughs> What we're watching. <laughs> Don, go. I just talk forever. You're, you guys are up. Oh, no staying power. We talk forever. Always. <laughs> Obviously, watched and enjoyed Helsing. The Arrow season finale was... How dare you, sir? Mediocre. It was awesome. It was not. It was. I rarely... I rarely Two men sh- enter. <laughs> I rarely ship. You rarely what? Ship. What? No? Yeah. <laughs> I'll take a ship. I'll, I rarely ship, but when he brought her to Lex Luthor's house and said, you're the one I love, I was like, oh, really? <laughs> no, that was just a brutal trick on the audience, you <laughs> bastards. That was okay. I really, you're giving it an okay because the, the romance didn't work right for you, Jordan. Well, it just, uh, not only that, it's give her a break. <laughs> Love her. Yes. Damn it. Felicity smoke is the one for you. You have become a CW girl. <laughs> I'm glad I you use the term ship. I am. <laughs> I mean, he was on the phone with his girlfriends right away. <laughs> Oh, girlfriend, did you see that? Oh, my God. Oh, Becky. (laughs) Oh, Becky. I mean, it was okay. It was, I thought it was, you know, bringing in the league was a little bit deus ex there just at the end. You know, we've got this army and what are we going to do? Oh, hey, (laughs) last week in between apps, I called the League of Assassins. So we're good. I liked it. I, I, I like they brought every freaking person. Hey, look, remember that extra from C's from first, first episode? Gary. Yeah. <laughs> Gary. <laughs> Shut up, Gary. I mean, I know I'm not saying it was bad. I'm just saying it was to me, not what I hoped, but at least they've announced and confirmed that Captain Jack's going to be a regular for next season. Yes. He is a series regular now. I, that was I, my favorite part of it, really. The, the scenes between her, him and, uh, whatever her name is. <laughs> Speedy. Yeah. See, I liked her in the first season, but this past season she became sufficiently forgettable that, oh God, I can't even remember her name. I can't right now either. Yeah. I'm drawing a blank and so, so, she had so much drama this season you'd think I'd remember. Yeah, but it was just secondary drama. She was... It was ridiculous drama at, at certain points. It was just like, there are things that people on this show get upset about that like, and blame people. Like, there's so much redirecting of blame. <laughs> Like somebody I would never personally, I guess I would never bounce blame off of if I blamed somebody for that specific thing. <laughs> It'd be like, you just told me that. Where were you, bastard? <laughs> you know, stage left. It must have been your problem. I mean, I like that they reset the flashbacks. So we're going to have a new set of flashbacks. Mm-hmm. He's not going to be on the island for his flashbacks anymore. That's good because that was getting tired. So now we're going to have him with Waller for flashbacks, apparently. So, yeah. I mean, that's interesting. It's not just. The same old crappy lost flashbacks for five years. You know, the one thing that was missing from this episode? Other than Harley Quinn? Yes. No. Yes. <laughs> well, that, when he, when he goes in there and releases yes. everybody, but then only Deadshot shows up. I, all, that's again, all you, they had to do. Just give me the voice. Yeah. That's it. Just something like, am I getting released? I mean, they, they did it once. They, I know. It would have, that would have just been, the perfect part of that part of the episode. Just give me the voice. Anyway. Also watching Game of Thrones. And I gotta say, if this keeps up, I'm not gonna watch it anymore. What? 
It's, uh, okay, they didn't do it this last up, but Don just freaked out over my <laughs> pronouncement that I might stop watching. <laughs> They're doing all this make-believe stuff. Like, oh, have you your spoilers? I uh, canceled my HBO, so waiting. Okay. <laughs> well, it, it's, what I'm going to say is not really spoilers. They're working with... You do realize it's still Jordan, right? No. They're who, working... who thinks everything out of his mouth is not a spoiler? Because <laughs> yeah. he said it. Look, it was on TV 30 seconds ago. Yeah, you didn't see exactly. it. So they're working with Martin because they know that they only have like three more seasons left, but he's going to be dead before he gets the, they get those three seasons. He, he Why you books. stop wishing people dead on our show? Cause his list is hobby as pizza and he weighs more than me. Okay. And I am 300 pounds. Stop wishing people dead. <laughs> I'm not wishing him dead. I'm just saying if we were going to start a Deadpool, I would have him. <laughs> Then you would start wishing people dead. <laughs> so they're working with him to get hints and pointers of where he is thinking of going uh, with his characters. And we've seen some of that. There are revelations that have not been quite made so far this season that we assume are going to be made in the book. Okay, that's fine. But in order to hide the fact that they don't have material, they for the first three episodes, they did these between five and ten minute little scenes of things that never happen in the book. And as the books have been written... There was no chance there ever happened. It's not like last season where, you know, you had Bran get over the wall without actually doing that stuff where they went down in the well and, and they just jumped stuff, but they still got them to the same place. There are like for three apps, they had stuff that just didn't happen. And in the books or even as the TV show has been laid out, never any chance it could happen. But it's just filler because they don't know where they're going. Just filler. Yeah. And if they keep just doing this filler crap, I'm going to stick with the books because strange for me to say, I would rather have that story, though I find it mediocre uh, compared to the TV show, than this stuff that is just filler. It's not really leading to anything. It's because we know what all these characters did afterwards anyway. That's why I'm not really keen on it. But this last two apps with Tyrion's speech and then last last app where... <laughs> Things happen. Good dialogue and characters were advanced. That was very good. Tyrion's speech in this last step where they didn't do the filler, I rather liked. So if they get away from the filler and keep developing, I will continue to watch. I didn't have, but the way Tyrion died was just horrible. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't die. I've got a friend. I got a friend like that too. He just, hey, have you seen to the point where so and so dies? I'm like, wait, what? They haven't filmed that yet. Why, why would you say that? I, every now, there's one of my coworkers I just discovered. She, she watches the show and we were talking about it and she asked a question and I'm like, well, no, because, oh shit, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a problem with it. I mean, yeah, there's been some things that have been, you know, obviously different and very different. And there's a few people that I talk to online that aren't as far in the books or are reading the books, but are still watching the show and they'll pull me aside and go, all right, what about this? Blah, blah, blah. What happened here? And I'll tell them straight out. It's like, none of that happened in, in the book. So you're never going to see that in the books, but I don't have a problem with it. I don't have a problem with what they've done so far. There's been a, maybe one or two little quirky things that I don't understand why, if they are telegraphing the books that they've telegraphed this far ahead. Well, yeah, well, <laughs> Three That's, eps ago with, stop. it's book six. You know, they, they <laughs> right. said something that is book six. 
But I, overall, I don't have a problem with what they've done this season. I've enjoyed it. And like you said, the last two episodes, even though, yeah, there are certain changes that have been made, but that's the butterfly effect of what's been going on anyway. Uh, the changes that they've made even as far back as season yeah, one. The, the divergences, that, that doesn't bother me. It's right. just this filler that they're throwing in because it's quite obvious they're, they're trying to pad. But these last, these last two episodes have been awesome. They've been great. I had somebody today bitched about one of the scenes from the eerie, the moon door. <laughs> You've read the books. You haven't? No, I have oh, not. Nobody likes you right now. <laughs> I do. I like you. I don't want to start a series where the guy might die before he finishes the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> there's no answer to that. <laughs> no, there's just, there's oh, like... when, when I say it, I'm wishing him dead. But when, when Don <laughs> says it, it's just an observation. Okay. That's fine. That's fine. Well, generally, <laughs> I think we're pretty safe in those assumptions. <laughs> anyway, the the moon door stuff. Somebody's like, I didn't like the way they filmed that. It was so much better in the book. I'm like, you're out of your mind. It was. It was almost word for word, or scene block per scene block. <laughs> you know what was in the book. So anyway, if it was word for word, it would have been a six hour up. But you know. <laughs> it would have been a seven course meal. <laughs> you know what I will say. But you, you've seen the first two seasons, Earmuffs. Right? Earmuffs. Yeah, I have. Okay. So in the, in the books, Sansa Stark is pretty much a wet mop. She serves no purpose, but what he, what Littlefinger started at the end of last season does happen in the books. And what he's done this season does happen in the books. Mm-hmm. But what this actress has done, Sansa Stark, to my mind, maybe has some deep plan for books seven and eight. I don't know. But Sansa in the books and on TV, just a wet mop. She serves no purpose except to be the woman in the fridge. And she she does nothing. But this actress... I disagree with that towards the end of the, ser- end of the books that we've gotten so far. But he tried, but then I, just, yeah. to my mind, lost it. There was laying down of skills and thought patterns, and which has started in the TV show this season. They've been laying down of skills and ways of thinking and manipulation. But then, to my mind, he kind of lost it. But this actress, I don't know what her name is, but not only has she grown up, she has turned this character facially. She uses her face well to emote. Not a lot of actors do that well. They rely on the words. But she is making Sansa, to my mind, a much more interesting character than she had been previously just because she is seen to be learning. She is seen to be taking in Littlefinger's tutelage. And she is seen to be becoming, much like Arya is seen to becoming a cold-blooded killer, <laughs> she is seen to becoming little, mini little, littler finger. <laughs> <laughs> so that actress has, has kind of redeemed that character for me a little bit. But anyway, enough of that before. Yeah, what, what else are you watching before, uh, before Don starts crying? <laughs> Only so many times Don can go to the earmuffs. <laughs> and the plummeting scream was just... No, we saw a couple of movies as well. Went to see The Neighbors, and that was hilarious. Loved it. I uh, We want to see that one, yeah. Zach Efron was surprisingly palatable. <laughs> and then we went to see Godzilla, and I thought it was really great. It was just a throwback to the 50s where... Godzilla is not the monster. He's the protector. But of course, nobody realizes it. So they try to blow him up. But in the <laughs> end, Godzilla is there to, they label it differently. He's the alpha predator just taking out the competition because that's the food source. But full of spoilers much? 
hey, it's been out for a week. It, it was really good. It, it, it's they do a great job of giving you scale, size. You know, the monsters are really monsters. You know, sometimes I knock CGI for not being for being a little too glossy in its detail, but they really do a good job of putting the detail into making Godzilla look big, both in the water and on land and make the Motus look big and not just menacing. And there's a couple Easter eggs throw out to other things, you know, maybe the, well, they've already said they're going to be a sequel. And, mm-hmm. uh, there was a scene where they could do the sequel based on the aquarium. Did you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, uh, but they did a good job. Oh, Everybody was loved it. I, I loved it. Everybody had their parts and it wasn't, it wasn't the ensemble that I thought it was going to be. Because it wasn't Brian Cranston and the guy that plays his kid and the daughter through the whole movie. I thought it was going to be kind of like family survival story, mm-hmm. but it's like Cranston had his part, the kid had his part, the daughter had his part, and there was various other people that had their parts and they jumped around. So it wasn't the same group all the way through. Each had its own part and its strengths and weaknesses. Yeah, I really liked that. The human it was- story wasn't dumb. It, it no, was, it was enjoyable, likable. And of course, then top it off these giant monsters fighting. Uh, yeah. it, it was just classic. Godzilla done as a Hollywood movie in a good way. Yeah. And yeah, I was completely blown away. Do you have some new expansion ideas for your game? (laughs) Well, now my game is incomplete. (laughs) Is there now a new monster? (laughs) I meant to do something. Curiously, when I was on two years ago, we talked about Godzilla and I mentioned, I think they're doing another American Godzilla movie. I just watched it last weekend. (laughs) Curious timing. And that's what I got for the watching. Yeah. Loved Godzilla. Is the only one left here who's still watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I feel it's my duty to talk about it. <laughs> you gotta go get a drink. <laughs> I'm gonna go to the bathroom. Just go. I'll, I'll be straight. It, the words that it's gotten better, yes, it's true. Of course, you know, tripping over a low bar here. Not really saying a whole lot, but yeah, it's gotten better. It's not what I would call good TV, but it's gotten to watchable TV. I don't connect with any of the characters, but seeing them suffer and have a hard time, it's okay, sure. <laughs> Oh, maybe I'll check it out. They're suffering. (laughs) They do put them through the ringer and they were freaking out and yelling at each other. And I was liking that stuff. And actually the, the, the finale was kind of good. I'm interested enough to keep watching it. Here's my issue right now. And I've heard this on a couple other podcasts where some other people had given up and come back in. And one, it should have never been 22 episodes. Obviously it should have been like a 13 episode thing and and tightened Mm -hmm. it up. And the other thing though, is like people like, well, I'm hearing all this crap ever since like the captain America and on. Mm -hmm. And to me, it doesn't bode well or speak well when people are like, fine. If I jump back in at the captain, do I need to watch anything else? And they're like, no, don't even bother. And that's not even half a series that you're jumping back in. You're jumping back in. What, four or five episodes tops, I think, at that point? Not that many. Yeah. yeah. So to Maybe basically four. say, no, you don't have to worry about, don't even bother with everything else before it. Yeah, watch, that's not watch a good thing. the week before Captain America and the rest of them, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I can kind of see now, looking back, what they were thinking, and some of my grievances are actually, oh, now I see what you were doing with that, where you're going. Okay. That makes more sense to me now. But yeah, they, they stalled for way too long to get to that point. And they did a lot with that when they got there. But at this point, you know, next season, I'm like, oh, well, it's going to be a lot different. I don't know if it's going to be good. My instincts as a watcher are telling me they've already done the best that this current writing team can do, which was okay. But it's just, I 
don't feel like it's like your last time you were wondering if it was like Babylon 5, get through the first season to watch a show. I, I don't know that for sure, but I don't think so. And you were also talking last time, wondering if it would become necessary to watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. to enjoy the movies. I think if not, if they do like they did this time around with Captain America, it wasn't so much one dependent on the other. They were really more parallel stories. The Captain America kind of gave a broader view of what was going on, but it was still kind of a focused story around the clairvoyant and their particular story. So if they do it like that, I wouldn't be too surprised to see some cameos like if Deathlock shows up in maybe one of the Netflix series or something. You might get something like that, but I don't think it'll go beyond that unless they just pure, go the pure greed route, which... Disney? Yeah. Marvel? Greed? What? I, I won't say it won't happen, but so far, they haven't. So that's my feeling on that show so far. Then, um, continuing live action, I sometimes watch live action versions of various anime properties. This one being the Space Battleship Yamato movie that was done in Japan just a few years ago. Space Battleship Yamato was a series from back in the 70s, one of the founding pillars of anime. It was changed to be here in the U.S. as Star Blazers. Some people may have heard of that. About a... Uh, the Yamato, the ship from World War II, that they resurrect and turn into a warship to fight against aliens that mankind can't possibly face. Because somehow digging up an old rusted ship is easier than building a new one. Worked with the SDF-1. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> sure, whatever. The movie was actually a, a pretty good adaptation of the TV series and put it into live action form with classic space opera. And hit the key points and actually pretty good special effects for a Japanese movie. It was hurt by the usual Japanese overacting, but I liked it in general. Then I watched a bunch of short-form shows, the shows of two- to five-minute episodes. Bottom Biting Bug 2, I hated the first season. I merely disliked the second season. Hated it so much, I gave the second season yeah. a shot. Thank God you're still going with it. <laughs> I, I never give anything up because sometimes it pays off, but man. Wow, that makes me feel real bad about hating S.H.I.E.L.D. No. <laughs> I have a built-in excuse. It wasn't me. It was Megan. <laughs> Another one, Woozer's Hand-to-Mouth Life 2. Uh, about a dog or alien, or I'm not really sure what it is. Very simplistic art style. That's very lazy. That's pretty much the whole gag. I like the second season better than the first, mostly due to the cameos throughout it from all these other anime series. Some really kind of more obscure ones, like from Girls and Panzer, that were really fun. Then Robot Girl Z, which is nine short episodes that was reassembled into three regular length episodes in Crunchyroll. The concept is pretty fun. It's a reimagining of the Mazinger Z franchise, classic giant robot. It was Transor Z in the U.S. back in the day. Many different series from the franchise have appeared in Japan. It's been reimagined as a magical girl show, with these magical girls having the powers of the various forms of Mazinger, Mazinger Z, Great Mazinger, etc. And then they have these villains that are kind of goofy versions of the ones from the Mazinger Z TV show, showing up and causing problems. Then there's cameos by various other magical girls from other giant robot shows of classic time period, like Guy King, Get a Robo. It was all very goofy and silly and had me laughing quite a bit. So it wasn't, like, great, but it, it was funny. Going into more long shows, I finished the third season of Card Fight Vanguard called Link Joker, which uh, a great evil is trying to take over the Earth. Better crack out your decks. That show is just hurt by being a kid show, I think, and just... You know, the card playing in it is very real. It's like, I'm pretty sure that's what the real game is like, which really hurts their drama, and they really have to force it. Well, it's just a vehicle to drive card sales. I it thought. is. Yeah. It is. But, like, oh, my gosh, he did two damage on the first turn. He's so good. No, that happens, like, every game. Admit the meta game here, people. That's just a standard <laughs> opening move, okay? <laughs> and it's, like, you know, 60 episodes of that sort of thing. It's kind of tiring. It's, it's not a terrible show, and for a kid's show, it's, it's decent, but it's, like, it's just... 
quit pretending it's so dramatic, you know. <laughs> I sure as heck wouldn't want to put my soul on the line for this card game with a very large random factor. Uh, Naruto Shippuden. I just watched the most recent release box set of that. That puts me in, I don't know, around 300 episodes into that one after the hundreds of episodes of the first Naruto series. Naruto is one that is just the biggest roller coaster of a show. The the high points when it gets good are really good. The low points are really bad. And just coming off of another great series, a great piece of it, it went back into filler. This is a show that has been going for years and they keep catching up to the manga, then having to stall a filler. And catch it, do some really good stuff for the manga, then stall. And they're in the stall phase where it's like you just need to get Naruto to this island to advance the story. And they've been on a boat for at least a dozen episodes, having random adventures with ghost pirates and random crap like that. Have they met Luffy? That would be awesome. <laughs> that would be, oh, but, uh, yeah, never happened, I'm sure. Though some other series have done One Piece crossovers. Also watching Fairy Tale, another long-running series. Got the latest box set of that from Funimation. And that one I just keep enjoying with the uh, guild of goofed up and kind of unruly wizards running into their latest big problem, as that seems to be all that happens to them. And as having fun as I always did. And this time, they went to a, an island and it's really hot there, so all the girls had to wear bikinis. I accept that excuse. <laughs> Then, working through Saint Seiya Omega. Saint Seiya is a property from the 80s, mid to late 80s, that has had a number of different iterations over the years. It appeared here in the U.S. a little bit as Knights of the Zodiac. It's a show that's been really popular around the world, but not so much here. Like, Latin America really loves Saint Seiya. I don't know. I never really got into it. The original series was half-released by ADV Films a few years ago. Only the first half. That shows you how well it sold. And for me, it was... um a shonen action show that just doesn't cut it. Each of the characters has basically one or two moves. And they go into a fight, and they try their move, and it fails. Oh, no. And then they get beat up for a while. And then they try their move all the harder. I'm sorry. They burn their cosmos all the harder, and then they, they win. And that's like every fight. There's just, like, no variety. So when it came it's to... like the, Voltron waiting to pull the sword out. To the <laughs> well, it's like, it's the same move. Again, it, it failed twice. It's not good. Oh, no. He burns his cosmo more. Now it works. Okay, great. You just got to try harder after you get beat up. That was kind my of, experience. That just leads to another ass kicking. <laughs> Normally, you would think. <laughs> no, but, come on, dudes. I'll take you. Especially we can barely stand, right? So uh, when the latest series, Sensei Omega, came out, I wasn't really excited to watch it. But, you know, like me, I watch everything. And I was surprised at how much I liked it. It's uh, a generation later, so you got some new people stepping up to be saints guarding Athena. And what got me about it, I think, the writers are very good at pulling out and doing the most with what they have. And they manage to avoid going the predictable routes, but they do it with such grace that I don't even realize it's happening. It's only when I look back on it, I'm like, wow, that actually didn't play out at all like I was expecting it to. But while I was watching it, it just didn't seem off at all. Just very smooth. I watched the first half a while back, and now I've been working through the second half of the 97 episodes, or as it recently ended. I wanted to finish it by the time I got here, but... Crunchyroll's PS3 app has been down for a better part of a week, so I moved on to things that I can't watch on my PS. Mobile Suit Gundam Double Zeta. The original Mobile Suit Gundam came out in 79, and Gundam is... It's that old? 79, yep. Wow. It's practically synonymous with Giant Robot in Japan. It's the big Giant Robot franchise with many different versions and universes. Uh, Double Zeta was the third Gundam series after the original Gundam, then Mobile Suit Gundam Zeta, and then now and Double Zeta right after that. It was the last of the big Gundam series in the original Universal Century timeline universe. 
the first two series came out here in the U.S. a while back, but I never got to see Double Zeta. I finally got put up on Daisuke.net, so I finally get to see it, and I'm kind of wishing I hadn't. While the first two, and pretty much all the Gundam series since, have really serious wartime melodrama, really intense stuff, Double Zeta, more lightweight in tone, almost comedic. And I don't think me or anybody else really wanted that out of their Gundam. And I suspect there's a reason this was the last of the main big series for the Universal Century timeline. I'm halfway through it. It co- follows immediately after Zeta. So the ship that the that Zeta followed, just after the huge climax battle, limping away with what few cast members are left, goes to take refuge in a comedy. I, I mean a colony. <laughs> no, I actually mean a, that's more like a comedy. It, sure, they're being attacked by the new Xeon guys and stuff, but it's they're almost more bumbling than actual real villains. It's given me the Fonz on water skis and sharks. Hasn't gone there yet, but kind of the writing's on the wall, and I'm expecting it to go at any time. It could still turn around, but it just almost ruins everything. Then I watched the movie from back in 87 called Lily Cat, which was uh, just a short uh, hour-and-a-half movie made back when they were doing a lot of sci-fi series and um, movies in the anime world. This one was very heavily influenced by Hollywood movies such as Alien, The Thing, other ones like that. It's about a, a crew of uh, planetary explorers. They're deep in space, no escape. Something gets on board, starts causing problems. Initially, it's just a, like a corrosion, but it advances beyond that. And there's a side story of people who snuck on the ship and stuff like that going on. It was okay, except for the characters just didn't react at all like people would react in a situation. When everyone's dying, you should maybe like freak out a little bit or maybe take it seriously. Okay story, not so great characters. And this last weekend, I watched a series that came out by Sentai Filmworks called The Hentai Prince and the Stony Cat, proving to me once again that you should never judge a Blu-ray by its cover. Not when it's put out by Sentai Filmworks, at least. And in this case, don't judge a story by its title either, as I was expecting a lightweight comedy very heavy on the fan service. That's really not what I got. In the first episode, this boy who is high schooler and rather perverted is kind of a... Score! I was going to say Jordan... (laughs) He's uh, actually a little bit ashamed of the fact that he doesn't stand up for his pervertedness and kind of tries to hide it. So he goes to the stone cat statue to pray for the ability to speak his mind. And there he also meets a girl who's there to pray to the cat to be able to hide her emotions better. And it grants their wishes far, far beyond what they would ever hoped it would, as she loses the ability to show any emotion, and he loses his filter completely and starts spouting all kinds of things that people shouldn't be spouting. You do like cats. <laughs> He gets the title. Pray to the cat a euphemism. <laughs> he gets the title of the hentai prince within minutes of going to school. Uh, this show is actually rather serious though, as it gets into these characters and brings in another character that he believes is the one who took his facade or was, was given his facade and try to get it back. It really gets into their past and the problems these characters are having. And it's kind of serious and actually pretty well written, though I thought it lost its way toward the middle where it was getting too reliant on doing more wishes and more crazy things happening to advance its story instead of really giving, giving us more characters. But overall, a surprise. I kind of liked it. And then I watched Haganai Next, which is a follow-up to Haganai. I don't have many friends, which is... <laughs> that's a subtitle. It's not... I, didn't I, just say I thought it was a declaration. <laughs> I which, thought it was too. Which, right? you know, I was just going to let it go. <laughs> we, we were going to give you a hug afterwards. <laughs> Tell you, you're always welcome. <laughs> All the geeks therapy with yeah. Don. Uh, in the show, a high school boy who looks like a dangerous delinquent. He's actually a nice guy, but everyone's kind of scared of him, so he's had a lot of problems making friends. And he gets kind of drug into creating a 
club called the Neighbors Club that's all about figuring out, figuring out how to make friends. And very quickly, a harem of girls join this club. And the, kind of the joke behind it all is that they're so busy, like going out and doing things together, practicing for the day that they some, someday have friends, not really realizing what they currently have, which is a, a fine enough concept. But I had, I struggled with the first season and that they're just playing mean to each other, especially the one girl. Like it's like, I just wanted to slap around a little bit. Like, okay, there's just things you shouldn't be saying to other people. I mean, I get the whole love rivalry thing going on and stuff, but. Why you look at me when he says that? Because <laughs> there are things you just shouldn't say. <laughs> there are. Uh, the second season actually went away from that a little bit. It was still there to some extent, but not as bad. And got into more them realizing what they really do have, which is what I wanted out of the first season. So the harem shot part is <laughs> it, it, it's a significant part of the show. I actually really like the character who just throws himself, throws herself at him just with their words and stuff. It's just hilarious sometimes. I actually like the second season quite a bit and made my my feeling on the first season better. If nothing else, it has my favorite character designer did the character designs for the show, so, you know, hooray for that. The best thing I watched lately was uh, the Kokoro Connect OAV series. Kokoro Connect was a TV series I watched a little bit a little while ago. It was a 13-episode series, and it was followed up by this extra four episodes, so I got to see kind of the last piece of it now. It's about a uh, small club of high schoolers, two boys, three girls. In the beginning, they suddenly start switching bodies randomly. Well, that seems like a nice setup for a comedy. The show is not at all a comedy. It has some comedic elements, sure, but it's really a drama about these kids working through things. And when you're swapping bodies randomly with people, you learn a lot more about them than you ever normally would, and they learn more about you than you'd ever hope they would. I certainly would not want to experience that with the people in this room. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's a real challenge for them, and it really challenges who they are and their friendships and stuff like that. And it doesn't get any easier when they figure out what's behind it all or when the phenomenon, phenomenon starts changing to have other terrible things happen to them. The OIV series, the phenomenon changes again, and they start being able to read each other's thoughts at random times, often at terrible times. There's things that we have in our heads that shouldn't be said out loud, and you hope that other people don't know. And it's, again, them having to struggle through these things. It's a really well-written series. I, I really enjoyed it, and I really enjoyed the OIV series following up. It completed the story quite well. Let's see. We already talked about Arrow. The only other thing I would add to that is we got to see a little bit of The Flash, what's coming up there. So I'm uh, looking forward to that show, too, see what they do with that. And, of course, they have confirmed that the Arrow will appear on the first episode of The Flash. Let's see. Game of Thrones we talked about. Ink Master. Let's talk about that again. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> Watching Ink Master. In fact, the uh, finale is tonight, so I have to watch that tomorrow, find out who won. Bob. There is no problem. Tattoo Nightmares, watching that one again, the tattoo cover-up show. Got caught up on True Detective, so I finally got to see the finale of that. Eh, finale kind of lost me a bit. I liked the show up until then, and then it was kind of iffy during the whole finale, especially when they did the where they should have ended and where they decided to end. <laughs> Orphan Black, have you been watching it? Uh, we do it three at a time. So. Okay. We've got three on there now. We kind of stay caught up at the points. I think we watched another one last night, the most recent episode last night. Still loving that show. Still a very, very good show. Checking out Penny Dreadful, and I haven't made a decision yet on what I think of that one. You uh, Have you heard that one, all? I'm assuming in your household. Yeah. yeah, we watched the first step, and I was generally positive. It was, I mean, I like uh, Dalton. Mm-hmm. 
and I think he speaks well in this show. This is where I'm not sure if I'm happy or not. It's just very much the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, mm-hmm. only with vampires. And better told. Well. <laughs> better represented. You, you know, it, that was not a good movie. It was not a good movie, but yeah. Peter Wilson. Yeah. Anyway, but I mean, you got the, you know, the Alan Quartermain, you got, mm-hmm. well, instead of Jekyll and Hyde, you got, uh, Frankenstein, you know. And, yeah, Frankenstein, yeah. Uh, Dorian Gray. Well, I, I, we saw the scenes from next week, so I yeah. assume that's what he was going to be. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, we, I, we've, we've watched two episodes. I'm neutral. It's the league. It's a little bit more, <laughs> it's a lot better so far after one up than the movie. Well, then again, I only read the original league, so I don't know how the follow-ups, like the black book or whatever it was, was apparently panned pretty bad. So I'm liking it. After one up, I'm definitely going to give it a shot. It might encourage me to keep the silver package after the Game of Thrones to <laughs> so I can see the end of Penny Dreadful. <laughs> yeah. Billy Piper's in the second episode, too. She she joins, uh, I don't know how long she's going to be around, but she's in. Well, I assume she was going to be Minna. I've watched two now, and I'm still kind of on the fence, but it's something I want to stick with for a little bit and see what I think. I have to admit, like, the first episode, I was kind of in and out. I think Megan was watching it more than I was. I was in the middle of doing something, and she fired. So uh that might be part of it. I might have to go back and grab the first episode again and rewatch it. But, yeah, I want to give it I want to give it a couple episodes, see what it, what I kind of think. I haven't completely formed an opinion yet. I'm kind of neutral on it right now. All right, and let's see. Uh Still watching Elementary, and we still enjoy that. And about the only movie I've seen recently is Hellbenders, because at some point in time, Cyrus and I are going to review it. He's got it now, so. It's all on you, Cyrus. That's what I got. What we're reading slash listening to. No. No? Jordan? As always, just finished the last chapter of We're Live. Yes. Uh, and they threw up on Facebook last week. The <sighs> final finale will be in July. So I still don't know how I feel about that. It still seems like it's too soon. Well, they're, they've come back now, right? So now they're, yeah. They, now they're maybe they're investigating the start. And I like how their patient zero right. wasn't just a zombie. You know, maybe patient zero is the creator. We don't know. Right. No, I, I like that. It just seems like there's still so much to kind of to do and, and wrap up and. Yeah, we got the we got the first first part of the next chapter. So now yeah, we've got we've got to it. no, I haven't either. Uh, That's what I'm saying. Now we've got weeks, we've yeah. got two more weeks before either of us will listen to it. And then in August, we're live, colon New York. <laughs> I'd be alright with that. <laughs> I finally finished Dragons of Autumn Twilight, the audio book. I'm probably not going to listen to the rest of the series. There, <laughs> that was an attempt at nostalgia that. Well, it didn't quite fail, but I have no desire to. So it failed. No, I got what I wanted out of the book. I decided, no, it's still written for 14-year-olds. It, yeah, I'm, I'm well past the age where I can stomach Weiss Hickman, I believe. Listen to Dead Six. Did you ever read The Death Gate Cycle? That is what put me off Weiss Hickman. Really? I love that series. It was rambling and shambling and... Self, re- it was recursive. They brought Fizban in. I know, yeah, that was a little weird. Yeah, uh, yeah. First two, three books, but somewhere around the fourth book, it was like, yeah, no, I'm done. You're dead to me. 
Eh, well, whatever. <laughs> Screw you. This week again. <laughs> Dead Six, Larry Korea. This is actually Larry Korea and another dude. So Larry Korea does, you know, the Monster Hunter and, mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, the Grim Noir. And, and one of the interesting things I like about his books is he's very knowledgeable about firearms. I'm not a big gun guy. Like personal ownership, sporting, you know, that kind of thing. Military police, sure, that makes sense to me. Personal ownership doesn't make sense to me. But he's very much a Second Amendment proponent. And he's very knowledgeable about firearms and all types of firearms. He's always dropping solid knowledge in his books and historically accurate because like this is modern. The Grim Noir stuff was like in the, in the thirties. So he was dropping knowledge about historical weaponry and the weaponry of the times. So it's very interesting, even though I'm not a gun person. So the knowledge there still made the books kind of worth, well, it didn't detract from the stories. The stories were all very good. This book though. There was a little war set around all this discussion of guns, and it was also somewhat disconcerting because the dude he wrote it with, they would each take half a chapter, and they would each tell a first-person point-of-view story. And I don't know who, who wrote which, but one was Valentine, and Valentine's chapter would be always I, 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 because both, ter- both stories are told from the same first person. And then it switches, and the other guy's writing the other dude, I, 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 and sometimes the same chapter covering what happened just from a different point of view. And I found that very distracting and sometimes even confusing. So from a technical standpoint, I found this to be a pretty weak book and it just dragged on much longer that he just did this whole insurgency thing in the Middle East. And it, it just seemed like it was how many different guns can we pack into this before we actually have to get to a resolution because the story itself was very simple. Mercenary group goes, gets hired to do an insurgency. There's a thief that gets caught up with the mercenary group because he's hired to steal something. But they're both the same character. That's my other problem. Despite they had different, having different names, they were basically both the same character. And that is my complaint about Korea's other books. The main character is always the same dude. But in the other books, the stories were at least more compelling to overcome the fact that the big dude in MHI is the same as the big dude in Spellbound, just in a different era. His characters are really not that spectacular, but the stories are enjoyable. But so in here, this, neither was the story enjoyable, nor were the characters that spectacular. So there's apparently two or three more in here. I'm probably not going to give them a shot. I mean, this wasn't really bad. It just wasn't really all that good. And it certainly didn't live up to Monster Hunters or, or, uh, Spellbound. Started listening to Old Man's War by John Scalzi. This is now my gym book. Well, when I'm not having foot problems, it's what I listen to when I'm at the gym. This is an interesting concept. It's far future. There's been some kind of terrestrial war somewhere in Southeast Asia. The big bad guys are. Or from, from this white dude's perspective, the big bad guys were India and Pakistan. Now they have gone off planet and they're colonizing the, the, the universe and they have, what is it? Colonial CCDF, something colonial defense forces. And what they do is, uh, they recruit from earth. You sign up when you're 65 and then at 75. So this is why it's old man's war. All their recruits are 75 years old. Uh, well, not all of them, but the majority of them. And they have an undisclosed process of rejuvenating you. So you're still 75 years old, but now you have a young body again. Don't know why. They don't advertise how. This is just how they get recruits. I'm not that far into it. Only 
four or five chapters. They've explained what the process is, and it's actually pretty interesting. Scalzi did Ready Player One. This is a vastly different book. The The style and the writing and the dialogue is there, but this is a very different uh, tone. So I'm enjoying it, and I wish I could get to the gym more because I want to know what happens. Uh, I just finished Bad Luck and Trouble, the book like 14 in the Jack Reacher series. Continues to be good. He keeps finding ways to freshen stuff up. Last time I was on, I was reading The Swarm by Frank Schatzing, and it's uh, it was dry. It was just very, very... <laughs> it's a book about water. It's very, very dry. I'm not a big fan of Michael Crichton, as you know. It was very much like that. I mean, there was good, hard science, and you can tell he put thought into making a story, and the story progressed. But it was, the science was way too dry to make the story interesting for me. For the, you know, bioscience and the water science people, uh, you know, probably a lot more interesting. But for me, it was just like a straight line. Currently, I'm reading the new Shadowrun book, Fire and Frost, that Catalyst made available. You know, it's good. I'm generally not all that keen on licensed, but, uh, the Shadowrun books were always some of my favorites and, uh, this is so far off to a pretty good start. It's what a Shadowrun book should be. You can tell that there was a module, you know, kind of concept <laughs> here, but they're doing it well. I don't know. I'm about 20% through Kindle. So the main plot has not quite yet been revealed, but we're getting to it. And I mean, it's a good Shadowrun book. Well, it's a good book that happens to be Shadowrun. On the comic side, I read the compendium for last year's uh, Joker Death of the Family where Joker comes back to the DCU and he went through all the Bat titles. And it was, I mean, it was okay. The Batgirl, two, the two issues of Batgirl were really, really good because it just went right back to Killing Joke, even though Killing Joke hadn't quite happened in the new U, the new 52, like mm-hmm. it did back then. It just went back to Killing Joke and, and Barbara and the Joker. It was really, really good. Read the first issue, or not even the first issue, the zero issue of Justice League United, what was going to be Justice League Canada, but they turned it into United. It was interesting. Don't know that, uh, I mean, I might read issue one, but this was just laying down. It's, um, Adam Strange before he finds Zeta Beams. So he's just a, he's just a paleontologist. And this book lays down who's going to be in the Justice League and zaps them to Thanagar for the first time, thus allowing Adam Strange to discover the Zeta Beams. So it's Adam, Adam Strange before he got, before he got famous. I don't know. That was okay. Eh. Uh, I read the first issue of Sinestro, and that's all I can say. I, I just totally <laughs> mind blank on that. So apparently it didn't stick with me. Might check out the second because I like Sinestro. But Maybe it'll remind you what happened in the first. Well, it has to. because Previously <laughs> on this comic. I don't recall being particularly enthused by it, nor do I feel that I was particularly disappointed by it. I mean, it was issue one, and it's Sinestro. There's, what are you going to do? Uh, I read the first issue of the new Electra book, and it was bad on every level. The art, the page layout, the story, it was, I could not recommend this book in any, uh, even if you were a diehard Electra fan, and I, and I just generally like Electra. I mean, if you were a diehard Electra fan, I cannot say that you should read this book. And I mean, if you do, I hope you like it. I really do. Cause Electra is like a cool assassin, but this is just a, yeah, I like Electra. This is a bad book. Bad. Sticking with Marvel, read the first two issues of Magneto. It's kind of dark. Well, not like dark, dark. It's Marvel dark. But, you know, it's, he's in his black outfit. He's still having problems with his powers. And he's, uh, he's on a mission of retribution now. Everybody that's 
messed with mutants. He's going to deal with them. He's not, he's not doing global causes anymore. He's not, you know, Magneto on the asteroid. He's not dealing with Charles Xavier or the, well, no, cause he's dead. He's not dealing with the X-Men. He's not doing, this is very, you know, street level Magneto. He's dealing with individual people and individual threats. And the first two issues were not bad. Not spectacular. The art was okay. I like Magneto. I like Magneto a lot. So it's probably coloring my view a little bit, but I enjoyed it and I will continue to, uh, to pick it up for a bit. I think at least finish the first arc. That's my reading and listening. I think the last time that we did this, I was almost done with Cross Badlands. And so I finished that. I believe I was into one of the last annuals I had for that. Uh, so I finished what I have. Uh, there are others out there they just haven't dropped in price yet and unfortunately cross badlands is one of about three or four titles now that i'm interested in that i have to go directly on the website to find out if the price has dropped or if the issue even exists because they will not run them through the app so i'll be kind of checking on that one off and on to see when i can have you switched over to the google play pay model so you don't have to deal with their checkout now did they make it no they took that away oh they did that that was part of what they took away. I oh, I, always I thought they used... changed it so that oh, well I knew they they took away oh not Google Play I mean PayPal uh, oh, right. I, yeah I knew they yeah because they taken away Amazon had taken it away from iTunes and and Google Play but I for for a while I know many people were complaining that you couldn't just do in app purchases anymore you had to go to no you you still do no matter what what you have to do is you have to save an account either PayPal or a credit card on the website. Mm. So coming right off of their, we've been breached. <laughs> now give us your CC info. Now we're going to pull the app because I did use the credit card that was associated with my Google Play is what I used to use all the time. And, you know, bam, bam, that's fine. The one thing I do like for the app is they've added a cart, which is nice because before it was 99 cents, 99 cents, dollar 99, 99 you know, you had to do each one individually and you get a charge for each one individually. Now you can do a cart and do it, but you have to store something on the website and I have not done that. So if I go over and buy it on the website, I can just buy it and not store the information and then I have to sync it down to the, to the app. It's kind of a pain in the ass. But at least on the Android version, you do have the cart. You do have the ability to make some form of purchase, where on the iOS one, they've completely ripped the purchase stuff out. Well, they don't want to give Apple 30%. Yeah. So Crossed Badlands is one of those I got to go back to the websites and see. It is one I want to keep up with, though. Sex number 12 did drop, so I read that one, and that one was another one that was focused more on the sidekick and him trying to infiltrate one of the major gangs in the city that has taken over and so so it's kind of again it's one sex is that is the comic that i just i i'm 12 issues in and i still don't know where i where i fall on it because some of it i like the i like the premise of but some of it i just i'm not sure if it works for me and of course you know we always talk about the wonderful color-coded the color-coded uh conversation and words and stuff that mean absolutely nothing that drives me absolutely nuts because i want it to mean something it's keeping you talking about it, though. Bastards. I gotta buy all hundred issues just to find out if there's a big reveal at the end. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna be like, I'm gonna be like that, the movie 13. They're just all gonna be on the walls and shit. You're gonna come over one day. I'm gonna have them all up, up my arms and everything. There's a code. I know it. It means nothing. No, it's gotta mean something. It's just a pink, pink word, dude. <laughs> 
You know, I uh, started trying to read the Astro City stuff you left with me again. I don't know why. I'm having a hard time getting into it. I don't know what it is. It's been a while since uh, since I had read any of it, and I'm just having a hard time sticking with it, which means it was good that we got the Shadowrun Fire and Frost novel, because <laughs> I'm reading that as well. So uh, just to kind of piggyback on what Jordan said. Oh, we, no. No, you have to have your own oh, opinion. No. You can't piggyback. Well, I will have my own opinion. All right. I'm just letting people know. Catalyst sent us this and the Stolen Souls uh, source book to check out. Shadowrun Fire and Frost is not available yet, and they don't have a release date yet. They are still working on it, and it's not even in the Goodreads system. Yeah, it's it's very 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 early, and that and like I said, I, they're still kind of toying around with when the actual release will happen. Uh, but Catalyst was nice enough to send it to Jordan and I to check out and do a review on. So I, I thought, yeah, why not? Because that fits in really well. Jordan and I talked about it. we talk about books all the time, so that is currently my read as well. Uh, and I'm about thirteen percent in, so I'm probably a little bit farther behind than you are but i agree with you it's 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 got a, a decent flow i've already sent a couple emails to randall but hopefully they go through and do one more spell check or proofread yeah because yeah. it needs it but we like i said we got a rough you know we got a rough copy no cover art or anything yet just straight up here's your text and you know that's cool I, I, it's cool to be able to to get to read it but I agree. It's got that nice flow. It's got that nice, I mean, them on a mission and, uh, and, you know, the two are a team and every once in a while they work with people that, that aren't, <laughs> they're Slicer. not used to being. Yeah. Porsche. Slicer. Yeah. I'm enjoying it. I'm not far in either, but things are laying out pretty nice and it is keeping me intrigued. And I like the style of characters that they've picked for this, uh, Shadowrun team. So I'm, in, I'm enjoying it too. It'll be, uh, it'll be I a like fun they, read. I don't know. At first when they did it, I was like, that's cheesy, but they've done their kind of version of zombism with, uh, the new mutations, the goblins and people like that. So yeah, I'm not that far. Oh, sorry. <laughs> but, that, but that's not new to Shadowrun either though. No. Oh, the one thing I did like, though, was it, not directly, but it is a continuation of the stuff they were doing in, well, I mean, it's been there in all of them, but there's a big drop in the books between Second Ed and now. But one of the last big stories that I read the first time around in the early to mid-90s was when they were introducing the hive mind and, and the bug people. And there's just this throwaway comment Maybe you've seen it, maybe you not. It's not a spoiler. It's just, yeah, things went really downhill when the hive mind died in Chicago. <laughs> that kind of a thing. Yeah. So I was like, okay, it's embracing its own history. Yeah, so we're enjoying it. That's kind of a, a big read for us right now. And as we get closer to being done, we'll come back with our uh, initial impressions and, and thoughts for this book to give it a little review. So, again, thanks, Catalyst, for sending that to us. If you want to uh, finish Crossfire, we would appreciate that as well. Oh, he gives and then he takes <laughs> away. Surprised they contact us at all. I know. You think they'd learn by now? <laughs> Sprawl gangers. What we're playing. Relatively small list. Obviously, some pogs. That was really, really good. Yeah, we got in some, a lot of pogs. War pog hammer. Um, no, Hammering so. the pogs of war. Yep. Got some disc wars in. Got in some dice masters. I'm rather enjoying that game. I think it's lived up to the hype. A lot of people are hating on it because, well, I don't know why, but 
Join us. <laughs> Join us or don't. Join us. Sheep. Yeah, okay. This discourse. But I'm the sheep. <laughs> Got in a good game of Attack Wing. We did our Tholian Web OP over the weekend. And I was playing the Borg, and I was the only person playing the Borg, so I won. I'm not a, I'm not afraid to put it like that way. I'm not too proud to say I beat everybody with a big stick. I think I threw dice more than four times in any any of the games I played. Just they're so ridiculously OP if you go faction pure and your faction is the Federation. But I had fun whipping up. It was good. There was some <laughs> second game. Dude had been working so hard to get his Voyager around so he could fire his transphasic torpedoes at me. Transphasic torpedoes, one shot attack but it lets you use 10 dice. And he'd angled to get there, you know, just to stay out of range the next turn and then get right up there or so that I would get right up there on him so he could use him the next turn. And I just blew through his shields and half his hull in one hit and got a crit on him that destroyed his transphasic torpedoes. <laughs> and it was just one of those funny, soul-crushing moments where I just saw him read the card and realize he only had one weapon upgrade, and that weapon upgrade was his torpedoes. And he just went, oh, well, that's the game. And it was just, oh, I think I just heard your heart break, sir. And and it made me happy. No. Uh, it was... Uh, yes. Don't try, don't try to cover it at the end there. Yes, it made you happy. <laughs> uh, it was a fun game. And because I, other people cried. Well, that, uh, that's just a given, but as more ships and more stuff comes out to, to deal with the Borg, balance will be restored. I mean, they, they got species 8472, but nobody played that because well, uh, the Tholian web is, um, based off the, the old TV app, but it starts off in each player's start zone, two pieces of the web are out. And then at the end of every round, the web expands around the outside of the board. So your play space is shrinking. Uh, cause if you're caught outside the web, you're gone cause you have to move. And when you move, you hit the web and you die. So the play space is shrinking and everybody ran Federation cause they have generally the daintiest ships that actually also pack guns. But I had the Borg and the Borg movement is very much like, so you, you both know the flight path, right? So you put out your arc and you turn mm-hmm. whatnot. Well, the Borg, it's all straight and they either go straight forward or straight to the left and right. And what they do there is you put your template down and then turn your ship 90 degrees and then go your move. So the Tholian web, well, because of a delay, Borg were out when Tholian web was out and it wasn't supposed to be. So this was pretty much custom tailor made for the Borg to just go while all the other ships and like one of the dudes brought the Enterprise big galaxy class ship that just kind of goes like a whale and has no dainty maneuvers whatsoever. (laughs) He's trying to maneuver in this smaller and smaller space. You know, you're going to die. I don't even have to shoot you. You're going (laughs) to die. So it was really fun because the Borg were just zipping around, getting behind people. That's the other thing. They have full 360 degree. So I don't even need to be, you know, I don't even need to have you in front of me. It's just... Zoom up, have one broadside in passing. That's the only shot you're going to get on me because after that, I'm going to be behind you. And nobody had anything to deal with that. One dude had the transphasic and I took that out. And and that was it. Otherwise, it was just throwing a ridiculous number of dice against a ridiculous number of, a ridiculously high number of attack dice against a ridiculously low number of defense dice. And generally two shot at every ship that I, that I faced. If we had done a battle royal and it had been six on two, I'm pretty sure I still would have won. Uh, they're just that overpowered right now. But, uh, hopefully 
they're they're going to continue to release equally buff Sheps. Otherwise, Borg are going to get really ugly to play. And like I said uh, earlier this week, Summoner Wars came out for Android platform, finally. Finally, like I'd been looking forward to it. But I downloaded it, and... I can't. Really? Not compatible with either of my tablets. Wow, that sucks. Got to say, you're not missing much? Well, you got like 10 inches there, right? Uh, this one is 12. 12, 12. okay. 12.2. Maybe the bigger tablets, because I've got nine. Nine suits everything that I do. My wife's Kindle is seven. I, I didn't necessarily want I knew I didn't want a seven. Ten seemed a little bit unruly, so I was happy with a nine. But apparently nine is just too small for that screen. You spend too much time. I'm, well, you probably have to pop it up anyways on even on a bigger screen, but it's just too much time popping up the cards to look at what you're doing. And uh, the board just doesn't look... Well, I mean, it's just an empty board with squares on it, right? But it just, it just doesn't feel good. You know, it's a game you're supposed to be playing in person. And uh, playing the AI was neither good nor bad. I mean, it's, it's the AI played well. But uh, just eh, visually, it, it was not that intriguing to me. So I'm probably not going to pursue it. And Arcade Wonders, if you're listening, don't don't go this route with, with Mage Wars either. <laughs> I think... Uh, you know, there are some games you can get away with playing, you know, solo against the AI, you know, take a ride, stuff like that. But sometimes you are actually meant to have human interaction. Yeah, I was surprised. I uh, My Asus, I was kind of used to off and on not having things compatible with it, but I got a new Samsung. Because you can't even you can't even search it. Like, it doesn't come up in a search. I oh, actually really? found, I found it on my phone. I can download it on my phone. <laughs> like, I want that. Let me get Summoner Wars let me on my that phone. up with my HDMI to my monitors. Yeah. Same thing with the, uh, the XCOM. I was going to get the XCOM for my tablet. Mm-hmm. I can find it on my phone, but it's not compatible with either one of my tablets. Hmm. So that kind of sucked. I went to the last Godfather's game day, so I got some gaming in. Played Marvel Dice Masters for the first time. I liked it quite a bit, actually. Played the game Rampage, dexterity game. Pretty fun for a dexterity game. Play monsters smashing stuff and eating people. I got some games in of Smash Up and uh, Sentinels of the Multiverse. Always makes me happy. Played Lords of Waterdeep for the first time. With really? With a couple expansions. Yeah. I uh, liked it quite a bit. It's a good game. First time, huh? Yeah, I don't know how I've not played yeah. that for so long. And I just finished a full... Maybe because it's not a POG game. <laughs> I just finished a full uh, campaign of Risk Legacy again. It's a different group this time. It was a lot of fun. Uh, on the video gaming side, my usual Sunday night group, we've been playing more League of Legends and Awesome Knots. We've gotten back into Alien Swarm. If any of you guys have ever seen that game, it's just a little top-down, you're a group of Marines fighting against aliens, and they just come swarming at you, and you have little mission objectives. Uh, we've, we only had the first handful of missions, so there's not much to play, but it's a lot of fun. You unlock new weapons and can do cool new things and stuff. It's a fun little multiplayer game. I think it's free. Then there was a Steam sale on a lot of Star Wars games, so we went Blast of the Past, played some Jedi Academy and Battlefront 2. Oh, I loved Battlefront. Battlefront 2 is kind of our fallback game that since everybody in our group actually has it, we sometimes go back to playing that one. It's still fun even after all this time. And uh got together with my friend for another full day of Tales of Zillia. We sat down, I'm thinking, oh, we must be pretty close to the end of this game. I just kind of feel like we are. We'll probably be playing a couple hours. A full day later... <laughs> comes to midnight, and we advance the story a little bit, and we suddenly go to a new world, and suddenly there's a whole new unexplored map. Like, oh, wow. I am percent complete went from 19 to 20. <laughs> I am so getting my money out of that game. It, it, it's huge. Is that on a console? Yeah, PS3. 
Uh, I actually like the combat system of the previous Tales game, Tales of Graces F, better because you couldn't just button mash that one. But uh, the more I play uh, Tales of Zillia, the more I like the combat system and the subtleties involved with it and things you can do with it. This is a JRPG? Yes. Yeah. And uh, it has my favorite level up system probably of any game ever. So that's a nice bonus. What makes it your favorite? It's got this web system where each kind of spoke of this web is a different stat, like your intelligence, your strength and stuff. And when you surround an area, you get the four corners of an area, there's a something inside of it that you get as well. So you can look at this web and say, hey, I want that skill right there, so I need to get these stats. Or you can look and I just want to beef up my strength and just go that route instead. And then you get the outside part of it where you have to get enough pieces on the outside to unlock the next outer ring of your web. So you're thinking about that, and you have to get key skills on the outside to be able to unlock as well. So you're looking ahead like, oh, I want to get that, but oh, that mean, means I go down the intelligence route, even though I'm going a strength character, you know, back and forth, and making these kind of back-and-forth decisions with it. With a very um, straightforward, simple-looking system, but it's got all these like, you know, little details of what what exactly you want to be getting out of it, and for each character. So I I love that system. Let's see. I don't have a lot. I did think of one thing that you didn't mention, but it has it's been a little bit since we played it. But damage report. We got in some damage oh, report yeah, with yeah. the uh, significant others. Hated it until we. That's uh, a good game. Thirty three percent of the time. Yeah. <laughs> hated it until we uh, pluralized one word. And then it was a good game. All it took was one word plural, <laughs> and we enjoyed the hell out of it. After that point. So, Previous yeah. to that, it's. Uh, well, every, everything in that game is singular. Yes. So it was an, and it had been a little while since I read the rules. So we did a recap of the rules. And since everything else was singular, we made this one thing singular, which is pick up and drop. So for an action, you can pick up or drop an item uh, or pick up and drop an item is kind of how we had been playing it, which made it extremely difficult. You might need to repair a station that needs three green crystals. Mm. So you've got to pick up a green crystal, go drop it off, or do the repair item if you can repair. Go back, get another green crystal. So it was, and it's a timer game, like Escape. Mm -hmm. And so there's um, milestones where more damage happens to the ship. So after going through it two times, we actually did the math, and it was like the way we were playing it. statistically impossible to actually beat the game (laughs) (laughs) on the intro scenario (laughs) yeah we put two hours in on a scenario that's supposed to be like 15 minutes uh 11 minutes you know 33 oh 33 minutes yeah when it's statistically impossible that's when you go back to the rule book (laughs) we did eventually (laughs) oh it was the first time i was that close to seeing megan (laughs) oh yeah i think megan was about to flip the table she was getting angry this makes no sense (laughs) (laughs) and then we played it pluralized where you could pick up multiple things and it was a much better game we loved game it became winnable and enjoyable <laughs> uh the only thing i still think that game would uh benefit a lot from a soundtracky timer uh, something something like that because it's it's a uh, sand timers for your movement which is pretty cool i like that aspect and then it's a generalized timer that every three minutes you got to do a damage some kind of damage is happening mm. to the ship so every three minutes that goes off and then when you get to the and then that's your, your card stack is your overall game timer because every three minutes it'll tell you to flip a card and then when you get down and you have to flip the game over card game over mm. kind of thing so depending on how 
how the stack is, is how long the, the game will actually uh, go. As, as we got frustrated and we got to the end of the second game and everybody was like, this sucks. He was reading through the book and there were, oh, there's alternate rules like to stretch the game out to add more cards. I'm like, well, that's not good. That's just, <laughs> you know, making the ball kicking last yeah. longer. Why would you want to See, do cause, that? Cause, cause we were maybe getting in 10, 20% repairs. And then the, then the timer would go off and it'd be like 30, 40% or something like that damage. And we're like, what the hell? We can't get ahead. <laughs> and that was like the win condition for us was to get the shields back or hyperdrive, the hyperdrive back to 100%. It starts off at like zero because it's down and you got to get it back up to 100%. So you go 10, 20, we got 20, 30%. What the hell? <laughs> so. And then, and then we, uh, pluralized everything and won the next game. And it still was a, a pretty good run. I mean, it wasn't like we just handily took the game, but it was possible. <laughs> so yeah, we played that. Uh, well, at one point somebody asked, well, should we try different characters? And Jeff was like, we're using the suggested characters. For yeah. We're using the <laughs> maximized suggested <laughs> characters. No. So we're, then we're doing something wrong. Yeah. Uh, we may review that one here in the in the future too. I think we just did. Yeah, let's, let's. I think we kind of did. <laughs> well, yeah, let me cut that and save it for for one night when we're lazy. That was the only board game kind of thing I could think of besides obviously Disc Wars. But I played. I got Prison Architect. I've been playing that off and on off of Steam. Just you know, kind of your sim type thing, but you're building Roller a prison. Tycoon kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, but you're building a prison. You have to, you know, hire guards and blah, 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 and make patrols and build solitaire and build a holding cell, you know, just the whole thing and riots break out and all that stuff. You take on grants. The flowers. Pretty much. (laughs) You take on grants to do different things to get more money, all that good stuff. It's a mindless thing that I've been kind of doing. It's kind of replaced my banish time because now I put in actual violence in my mindless sim. And then we have wanted to play this for a while, but we didn't want to pay full price, which the game has not been dropping. And all of a sudden, Megan came home and she's like, well, look what I got, because she found it on sale. South Park, The Stick of Truth, is a much better game than you would think it is. It is actually a very good game. It's still don't think I would have paid $60 for it, but I'm enjoying the hell out of it. And it also is kind of given, uh, it's South Park and everything that makes up South Park. But like the combat and all that stuff is like Final Fantasy style where they, they went back to old school RPGs where it's like take your turn and special abilities and, and awesome. stuff like that. So they've done it. It's, it's actually a very good game. I looked on, um, cause I think it's one that would be pretty decent to play on my laptop too, but Steam still has it for 60 bucks. I'm like, I'm still not dropping 60 bucks on it just to put it on my laptop, but we're playing it on the Xbox right now. And that's pretty much what I had. So I think that brings us to the end of another episode. You know, the only thing I think we didn't do, did you actually say what we're going to be covering next time? What you're going to be reviewing next time? I did not. Yeah. And it will be Fate Zero. Fate Zero. All right. So Don will be coming back for that. And Don, thanks for hanging out with us again, man. Thanks for bringing me back. You're always welcome. So I'm Jeff King. And I'm the Canadian. 
Thanks for listening. This podcast is a proud member of the GeekCast Network. If you enjoyed it and are looking for other podcasts with a geek culture slant, head over to geekcastnetwork.com, where you will find podcasts such as Royal Monster Battalion, where two geeks share their love of monster movies and have a few laughs along the way. Uh, online that I had already picking, picking, picking. I'm picking and a grinning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Heading back to your roots, are you? <laughs> Going back to Virginia. Yeah. So y'all, All you right. can't make me. Huh? You can't make me. <laughs> can't make you what? Go with you. <laughs> I'm staying here. <laughs>